Welcome to episode 206 of Chew on This, a Nerd United podcast. I'm BJ. Vic, well, we got a really special guest today. Um, like everything else in all of our shows, somehow we always fail upwards with getting guests. <laughs> and, or know, sideways in this case. <laughs> it's, I don't know how wow. we do what we do. Like, it's not like we have three million listeners, but honestly, I don't even know why anybody listens to us sometimes. But I don't even know why anybody agrees to come on the show. Half the time, <laughs> I think 90% of it is is they didn't even listen to the show. <laughs> Wait, they just know somebody that did it before. You just got to get like, that one person. Because I'm always telling wow. people just to like not listen to the first like 25 shows. I should just take them off of iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> because if they started with that one, they would never come on to the show. Right. That's um, anyway, so today, again, uh, like always, we're failing upwards, and we're so grateful to have our, our, our guest today. He's an award-winning actor, voiceover artist, writer, director, illustrator. He's is short uh, for uh, Lucasfilm Fan Film Awards. Um, one for Audience Award, the Star Wars Disabled Corsair. I'm sure all of our listeners probably know about that one. Um, he's a storybook artist. Um, he's done things like Christopher Robin most recently, but he's also done Twilight Eclipse. We'll talk about that later. But he's also <laughs> done he's also done work on awesome movies like Inception as well. Um, I'm going, I'm going on and on because literally his, his, his resume is really, really long. We'll get into it during the interview, but welcome to the show today, Jeffrey Henderson. Yay. Thank you so much, man. I really, I'm really excited to be here. And by the way, audience, as you're listening to this, when he says special guest, special is like an air quote. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, so, so just, just so we clarify. It's a, it's a no, podcast, it's, Jeff. They would have never found out until you just said that. <laughs> I know. I, I can't help myself. It, I'm a born button pusher. I'm going to put it in the liner notes. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's a pleasure. I thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, we're stoked. We're stoked. We we got a lot to talk about because I we usually before we have a guest on, we go we do a deep dive. We do a stalking, you know. So we stalk the shit out of you. IMDb went to your website, all that stuff. Uh, binoculars outside your house. Uh, <laughs> I think Vic went through your trash last night. Anyway, so yeah, pay your phone bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually got a thing from the uh, Department of Homeland Security yesterday, but I thought it was a spam. So. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't. I had to repackage it. No, I'm I'm well. Middle Eastern, so they they probably uh, are, are, are on their way here. <laughs> so we let's get into it. Uh, we really want. Let's t- tell us about your humble beginnings. Like, what what was your first memory of something like in pop culture that you really loved? What was that first thing? Oh man. Um. Okay, uh, there's a couple of them. The first one would be um, probably Star Trek and the old school Batman show in equal measure. Because, I mean, I was a little, little kid and they'd run that shit on UHF and I would just eat it up. Um, And then as I when I was seven, I had a really, really terrible accident. I got hit by a truck and it smashed my whole head in and I died on the table and it was like I was in a coma and like had to. I was in recovery for a really long time. And that's a comic book origin story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, um, while I was convalescing, I, I really, I couldn't go out and play. I couldn't do stuff with my friends. I was really limited to what I could do on the couch for months. And my mom and my grandmother, um, took the opportunity and just, just, it was a constant stream of like comic books and, you know, records and action figures and all that kind of business. And, you know, when you're little, um, 
at least for me personally, when I was that little, you don't make the distinction. Like you don't have the demarcation lines that you do now. So, um, these were all that stuff was very, very real and literal to me. Like, um, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day about living in Los Angeles. When I was growing up, I didn't even think LA was a real place. (laughs) I thought it was this far away, like, um, like, a like a fantasy land, like Valhalla or Oz or something (laughs) like where, where it's always sunny and everyone's beautiful and they make movies and there's palm trees because I grew up, I was born in New York city and kind of raised back and forth between um, Baltimore and Detroit, which is like the triple crown of hard ass blue collar East coast, you know? So LA, at least my version of it in my imagination was so the antithesis of that. And it was aspirational. And then as I got older and I fell so in love with movies and, and comics and TV and all of those roads seemed to lead back to LA and then obviously the other huge one was Star Wars, um, yes. which my dad, um, uh, we, I'd mentioned earlier before we started recording that my dad was a pretty accomplished commercial director when I was growing up. And we got to go to the New York premiere of it. And to this day, it's hard for me to articulate the impression that it made on me. I mean, I just don't, uh, I was so, how, how old I was, were you? How old were, I just, I always ask that. How old were you when that movie came out? It was Oh God! See, you're trying to pin me down now, man. Um, <laughs> I, I could look up online, see how old you are. If it, unless it's fake. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was no. Uh, I'm I'm dumb carrying the five, like right around eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. think. Um, I was you know a little nibbler, but um, and it was post uh, it was post accident. So I had just my dad lived in New York, and my mom lived in Baltimore at the time. So I'd go back and forth. And he just said, you know, we're going to this thing and it's supposed to be really cool. And, you know, what the hell did I know? I was a kid. And then I sat there and it was absolutely transcendent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember that that experience to this day. Very few things in my life have left that kind of imp- impression on me. And it wasn't just, um, again, it wasn't just a movie. It was, I didn't know that it wasn't real. I mean, somewhere I think intellectually I might have, but... Um, I think I pushed that aside because it was so transportive and so imaginative and so aspirational. And the other part of it that I, I come back to to this day was, and I know I speak to this generationally where I know there's millions of kids, male and female, that felt the same thing. But I so identified with Luke Skywalker in terms of looking at the twin sons and feeling you're stuck where you are and you just, you just want to see what's out there. You just want to be free of where you are to go somewhere magical and better. And, um, I just, it, it, it still strikes me to this day when I see that man, like I get choked up because it was so powerful. And I remember there, I mean, there's only a couple times in my life when I can think of where I was really speechless and, (laughs) For days afterwards, I was in like a stupor. Like I couldn't get my head around. I just couldn't talk. And my dad was like, you know, my dad's very New York kind of 70s director. He's like, hey, what'd you think, little guy? And I'm like, ah, like you saw a pretty girl for the first time. You're like, I yeah, don't know. exactly. Um, you know, I, and I was and I was always very grateful that I had that experience because I've referred back to that so many times, not just uh, personally, but creatively yeah, and professionally yeah. and I'm glad that that hasn't um, 
I'm glad I can still, I'm grateful for the fact that it's still very real to me because I'm, I'm protective of it. I'm, I'm grateful for That's that. That's awesome. But I, that would be my, those well, would be my Thank goodness. Ones. I mean, it was Star Wars and not like, you know, let's say that happened to you right before the movie Unbreakable came out and you're watching that. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I'm Mr. Glass. I'm turning into the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's not lost on me that there's been a couple times through my life where I'm like, dude, I'm living out my own supervillain origin story in real time. What the hell? Um, I'm like, I'm like one Jack Kirby page away from running the world. Like, it's crazy. Um, the only thing missing in that truck accident was like some kind of chemical to give you superpowers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was crazy, man. I it was actually on my seventh birthday, and I just gotten a new bike. And, um, it was the first, it, no, for real. It was the first two wheeled bike. Like I just took the wheels off and I was riding it and I was chasing the ice cream man. And, um, I was going down a hill and you know how on little kid bikes, you backpedal to stop. Yeah. 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 Well, I was kind of barreling towards the intersection and you know, too fast. Yeah. And then the, you start going so fast that the handlebars are wobbling a little bit. So I went to backpedal and the chain broke. Oh, Oh God. By the, by the time I I looked down and I whipped the bike around to the left to stop, and I ended up stopping facing the oncoming lane of traffic, and I got at, like literally right in front oh of this God. truck that was going like forty miles an hour, and you know it's not their fault. I mean, there was nothing anybody could do, and um, yeah, it was messed up, man. I was I was in bad shape for a long wow. time. Oh, God, well, thank God. I mean, that's a miracle, man. That's an absolute yeah. That's miracle. the rumor. Holy shit. What, um, what what was your what was your first break? What was the first big thing that you did? Where why'd you like, say you had to put it in like break terms after you just heard of getting run over by a fucking truck? <laughs> in the business, goddammit. Wow. <laughs> what was your first big break? I'm like his entire My body. Fucking head, you My asshole. <laughs> Everything. All this at once. This interview is over, bitch. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Um um, well, that's kind of a weird one. Okay, so when I would go see my dad, because my dad, like I said, was directing commercials and he had an ad agency, and I would go up to New York to see him with my little brother, and um, sometimes he'd want to hang out and be cool, and sometimes, you know, he'd kind of pawn us off. Well, when he'd pawn us off, it wasn't like how it is now. They used to have a bullpen of storyboard artists, like these guys that had done it for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it was like these old timey dudes with like, you know, the, with the the the, the, um, the NASA glasses and the short sleeve white shirts with the suspenders and like they're smoking cigars at work, drinking Glenlivet, yep. you know, and they're like, all right, all right, kid, it's just like Batman, except it's a guy with some Wonder Bread. Go. And so that's how I learned to storyboard and how I learned a lot of um you know, how to illustrate and, and uh, because storyboarding is essentially direction. I mean, it's the same, a lot of this, it's the same theory as film directing. You're just working in a different medium, but a lot of the same theory applies. So it was kind of messed up being a little kid. Your dad pawns you off on all these old school storyboard artists, but I'm, I'm very grateful because I learned so much in such huge mm, concentrated education. doses while yeah. I was there. And then, um, oddly, the other break early on was, um, at the same time when I was laid up after the accident, I also started playing guitar really intensively because, again, it was something I could do in, on a couch mm-hmm. for months and um, had a, an affinity for it. And right after I graduated high school, 
um, I got recruited to sing back up and play guitar for Wilson Pickett, who was a really famous R&B. He was like a contemporary of James Brown's. He did uh, like Land of a Thousand Dances and Mustang Sally. And oh, and wow. Midnight Hour. And wow. So I was uh, – it was literally a couple days after I graduated high school and I was this long-haired East Coast white kid in an all-black 11-piece soul band touring the South. Wow. Wow. Which was crazy. And um, then I found out later that – um, Jimi Hendrix had once had the same spot, which I was like completely floored by. So that was really cool because um, just that experience of being able to do that, because I grew up on that kind of music and and they were so everyone, the, the band, they were just so amazing to me. They treated me so well and I learned so much from them. I could never, I could never there's no way I could do it justice by talking about it. I mean, they were just, they were wonderful and it was amazing. And I was so terrified. Um, and I know my mom was really terrified, but I think to her credit, um, she was always so supportive and she was always so wonderful. And, um, we never had any money, but she was always super supportive. So she's like, look, I know I can't, if I tell you, no, you're going to do it anyway. So she's like, just be careful. And I love you. Oh, and I'm proud wow. of you. And don't, don't get arrested and don't get shot. And, you know, um, but it was amazing, man. Like that was that was probably the first one. And it wasn't just the experience of it. I mean, touring with a band and it being like professional and doing shows and all that kind of stuff was one thing. But it was being exposed to outside of the the, the little bubble where I grew up. Um, made, you know, we, like people in the South and then Midwest. And then I, I jumped into and toured with another band right after that. And being that young and relatively inexperienced with it, it was it was really amazing. So cool. It, it, really it sounds great. like, uh, like, like I always use movie references, but it sounds like almost famous and that thing you do mesh together. <laughs> yeah, a little. I mean, a little bit. And I, and I, and it, there was a lot of adventures, and like you know, I dodged a lot of bullets and and saw a lot of crazy shit. But, um, <laughs> but I'm really, yeah. But again, and I'm really grateful for it. And and you know, the other thing is being from Baltimore. Um, I mean. I, I had such a wide variety of people in my life. I mean, all, I mean, me and my brother, uh, 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 aside from a few exceptions, I mean, we were the only white kids we knew for the most part. <laughs> um, and like, and I was always grateful for it. I had a blast. I mean, I, I, I really did. And, and so having that opportunity to not just tour, but tour with a band like that, um, it just gives you such a different perspective mm. I think in terms of like race and class and um, how different things are regionally in the country. And I don't think I ever would have been exposed to a lot of that under different circumstances. So I think the, to, to me, that was the greatest takeaway of the experience. I mean, the other stuff was really fun, but um, just having the, it felt like the kind of the world had opened up to me. And I, that's the part that I think I've always been most grateful for, you know, yeah, I mean that that's an incredible story. I when you BJ when you said you were thinking about those two movies mm -hmm. for some reason I was thinking Crossroads with Ralph Macchio. Oh shit. <laughs> oh dude. Okay. Okay, here's another here's another crazy little tidbit. Um while right around the time he was doing I actually did um some correspondence courses with Steve Vai before he joined Roth. I still have him. He sent me these handwritten lesson plans. Oh my god. And then um, and when he was touring, um, I don't, to this day, I don't know if it was his sister or his aunt or his mom, but, um, 
her name was Lil and she used to write me and say, you know, Steve's really busy and he can't do this for a little bit. So here's a picture and he, he hopes you come and see him. And then I remembered when he came to Baltimore with David Lee Roth and I was a kid, um, I tried to get backstage and they threw me like physically threw me out cause I wasn't a hot chick. And I'm like, no, he's expecting me. Look, sure he is kid. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so, um, so that was a really big part of everything growing up too. So it was like kind of comic movie geek, comic stuff and music stuff in equal measure kind of at the same time. So how do you go from how do you go from touring with bands to being a storybook artist? Even though I know that's well, how the story kind of started with, you know, what your dad left you with? Yeah. Well, I actually was a musician for a really long time. I mean, we um I actually moved, I was uh I toured with different bands as kind of a journeyman for a while. And then I started some projects in um, Baltimore and then eventually ended up in Vegas where I moved here from. I lived in Vegas for like 11 years and I got into a band there with some very dear friends of mine. And we actually signed a deal and had the whole thing and um, the whole nine yards, man. I mean, like we we were that close, like that close. Mm. Um, and it just and when everything kind of blew up, it wasn't so much a result of anything we had done right or wrong. We got caught. We were kind of collateral damage from this deal that we were working with a producer. And then he, um, he had a, essentially we got caught between him and this label oh, man. and we were kind of collateral damage. And then by the time it all got sorted out, um, the window had kind of closed and there was no, there was nobody that was going to take on a new band with legal liability attached to him because under ideal circumstances, it's tough enough. Right. But when you factor all that stuff in, but again, um, I don't, you know, I don't pine. I don't, I mean, I'm actually going to play with those guys in a couple of weeks and we're still, they're like family. We're still oh, super tight. Cool. We're still huge parts of each other's lives. And I think, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's not like I don't miss, but I don't, it, it, it's not because of the trappings or any of that bullshit. It's mostly because my job for a while was, spending my days and nights playing music that I wrote with my best friends in the world. And that was my job. And that was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. But, but like I said, man, we're still super tight and um, we're like family. We always will be. And I think the one thing that made our situation interesting was that I think most bands, you, some of the relationships are forced because the band's really good and you kind of have to figure out how to get along, but it's usually pretty contentious um, with us, the band was very much an extension of us being so tight to begin with. So if I had to choose between having my boys or having the band, I'd much rather have them yeah. Yeah. than some construct that's temporary that to begin with. That makes a lot of sense. You know? Right. So, you know, it comes, it goes. Ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> you bastard. So, so it's after that point when the when the deal fell through that you started working for – you know, movies and things like that, storyboarding? Yeah, I well, I, I'd always had it in my back pocket and I'd drawn comic books and stuff like when we were um we were in Vegas doing all the music stuff, as my day job, I would do little storyboard jobs here and there, or I would do a comic book gig here and there. And then I ended up getting um some actual big time comic work, but the experience ended up being so bad that it kind of put me off on it, which was a bummer because I love comics. But um then when I when everything kind of went bust and I moved to to L.A., um, I just had to I, I 
it, it was more practical necessity mm-hmm. where I was like, I have this skill and I got to do something because I don't really want to live in my car <laughs> during right. my tenure in, in LA. And um, I just hustled and it started small and I kept, um, I would do portfolio pieces on my own. Um, the summer before I left Vegas to move here, I actually spent the whole summer um, doing a, a whole comics and storyboard portfolio on my own. And then the last bit of money that I had, um, I went to Comic-Con actually for the first time to do all the portfolio reviews and all that stuff. And I landed enough work from that where that afforded me to be able to come down to LA and get a little apartment. So, and then it's just kind of, it's a lot of hustle. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I think talent and, and, um, anything creative is, is a completely subjective thing. So I, it's not my place to judge whether anything I do is any good or not, but I, but the one thing I know that I do have is I work my ass off and I have a really good work ethic and, um, and I like working. I don't, you know, I don't, like um, a lot of the stuff that I do, I don't care so much about the end result or the trappings or what anyone's going to think. I like the process mm. of doing mm. it for its own sake. Like I just love doing That's stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, so yeah, so I just hustled and um, made some inroads and then I ended up getting hooked up with uh, some movie gigs and then um, I hooked up with uh, a production that was produced by Sam Raimi and Sam was, I mean, even before I'd ever met him or had anything to do with him, I was a fanatical Army of Darkness, Evil Dead fan, like all that right. stuff. And then um, once that happened, dude, I was I was off the reservation, man. I was like, oh, my God. Like, And then that went really well. And then after that, um, they called me for Spider-Man 4, which ended up not happening. But I had a really long stint on it before it got shut down. And um Sam was, I mean, that guy's the coolest dude ever. And I, I, again, I don't even know how to say how much I learned from him and how gracious he was and how just, he's, he's such a sweet man and he's so collaborative and he's so cool and he's not one of those guys at all. Like he's, he's just, he's just a sweetheart. I'd I'd take a bullet for that guy, man. He's, he's wonderful. So did you you work on Spider-Man three though? Yeah. I believe um per, yeah peripherally at the end um i did a lot of the style guide art like the art they used to like i had a whole line of slurpee cups with my art on them <laughs> and um you know like stuff they the studio will give out to like whether it's t-shirt manufacturers or animators or um you know a lot of the peripheral stuff like that and then um i worked on some of the post effect stuff they did like when they did reshoots and that's actually what led to me getting the other thing so yeah. And you also did, because uh, we love video games, you did Unjustice 2 as well. I'm probably going all over the yeah. place, but you do. No, no, it's okay. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, one of the studios that did a bunch of the um, the cutscenes, they were doing a bunch of the animation for the cutscenes. And me and another buddy of mine, Roger um, Robinson, who's a very accomplished comic book artist, and he's amazing. And we ended up um, getting put on this together. And we just kind of tag team. So most all the cut scenes in that um, we were either storyboarding or and the, the with a game like that, it's interesting because they have kind of multiple branches where depending there's like an alchemy to it. So like depending on the choices and and how it unfolds during the game, it can branch out. You get a different ending here, a different ending here, a different result here. So like 
there, there's a certain amount of math. So it's like if you have X amount of fighters and there's X amount of combinations of those fighters beating the shit out of each other, then the result of that is going to be X amount of, so like, here's, you have to do one. Okay. So this is where the flash wins. This is where uh-huh, he loses. This gotcha. is where he, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And then, um, and then they wanted like specific kind of environmental things. So like on this level, you can smash him through the wall and then he gets hit by a train and then he gets smashed through the wall of an aquarium. And then <laughs> Superman drops a bank on his head or whatever the thing is, right. you know? <laughs> So, yeah, that was a blast. And Roger, um, again, that guy's so good. I learned so much just from sitting next to him watching him. I feel bad that I mean, I, I almost feel like it should be him getting credit for both our work because I would just sit and stare at what he was doing. And he'd be like, dude, what are you looking at? And I'm like, catch me off guard. And shit. I'd be like, I just, I like your shirt. <laughs> you look very handsome today because um, I didn't want to creep him out. But, uh, yeah, he did a, a really, really amazing run on Batman for uh, DC. I think he still does a lot of comic stuff, too, but he was he's a madman. And that was a blast. That that gig was really fun. That's cool. You did some work for the for one of my favorite movies of all time, The Dark Knight. I did. Very little, actually. Um, but, yeah, I uh, that was the what I was just talking about. Um, the, the, the production where I first hooked up with Sam was 30 Days a Night which was actually also based on a comic mm-hmm, book yep. and S- Sam had produced that and they brought me on. And then David Slade, who was the director um, and we hit it off I, so much so that I ended up moving to New Zealand with him to storyboard the movie down there. And while we were down there, we started getting um, all these notices that, you know, Nolan was good, that the Joker was going to be the heavy in the dark night mm. and everyone was super excited. And um, I had gotten a call about just doing some preliminary stuff for my take on like the Joker and two face, but I mean, they had, they had cast a really wide net. It's not like they just picked me specifically. I know they had dozens of people contributing and stuff. And so I did a couple of studies of, um, the Joker and of the, of two face and, um, and that was really it. But I had some interesting conversations with him because the Joker is without question, my favorite character, comic character, maybe character ever mm, of all mm-hmm. time. And, um, hearing them describe how they were planning on doing it. I, I was just so excited because it was like hearing someone in my head, talk outside of my head. Like if I was going to do a Joker on a movie, this is exactly oh, so how cool. I'd be describing it to someone else. Yeah, that's and, so um, cool. And dude, that movie—it was so phenomenal. Just you, such how did you feel? So how did you feel about the casting of Heath Ledger? Because I remember when they said that, I was like, "Really?" Like almost like when Tim Burton was like, you know, uh, Michael Keaton's going to be Batman. I was like, "Really?" Like, okay, yeah. And then, um, and then, holy shit! I can't think of anyone else better, with the exception of like Mark Hamill, you know, doing the voice. I yeah, can't, I, yeah. Uh, that's my Joker now. Um, less. I mean, I wasn't as surprised or disappointed. I think because I got. I had that opportunity to talk to him so early and the, what my takeaway, cause my expectations were so high and I was so excited. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in David talking about this when we were working on 30 days a night. And, um, the thing I kept coming back to was Nolan, what he had done to that point was so amazing. Like, um, I thought Batman begins was amazing. And what was the one with, um, the one that's in reverse oh, uh, with Guy Pearce, uh, Memento. Oh my God, dude. Memento blew yeah, my it's mind. So, fucking great. so, so I was thinking if this guy, if Heath Ledger's his guy, I'm going to defer to his judgment a hundred percent. If he tells me he can make that shit work, I'm totally on board. I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, yeah. and then when I saw it, 
I just was, I just, to this day, I watch and it gives me chills. I'm just like, that's, that's as close to like perfect a characterization as I can imagine. You know, the only, the only, like if I had a fantasy version, the only version I'd ever wanted to see more, which is impossible now, unless you had a time machine would be like Tim, Tim Curry in like the, um, his Frankenfurter days or like David Bowie (laughs) in like the seventies, you know, Um, I could see Tim Curry doing it. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Because I always imagine, like, to me, I have this, um, I actually had this Joker story I was pitching for a long time to try to get made as a graphic novel. Um, but my, I always imagine, just aesthetically, not necessarily the characterization, but like thin white Duke era David Bowie, where he's like all heroin gaunt <laughs> and super, and super angular and like the, with his cheekbones and the swept back hair yeah. and those spindly fingers. And he was like beautiful and handsome and alien all at the same time. <laughs> and because um, I know that's kind of where Frank Miller got him a bit for the Dark, Dark Returns, Knight Returns yeah. was very David Bowie with the big the David Byrne padded suit, did, the angular cut, and everything. Did, um, did, and I always thought, no, go ahead. I'm oh no, sorry. I was just going to ask, like, did David Bowie do anything other than Labyrinth? Did he do any other movie besides Dude, Labyrinth? David David Bowie was a really amazing actor. He did. You want to watch amazing? Go and watch Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ. He plays Pontius Pilate. Oh, shit, Pilot. that's right. I forgot about and that. And he plays Tesla in, um, what's the other Nolan movie oh, about? Uh, 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 fuck the Magicians. Oh, goddamn. With uh, the, Prestige. the Prestige. Right, yeah. that's right. He, pl- he, he plays right. Um, Tesla, Tesla in The Prestige right. and is amazing in yeah, that, too. Yeah, right. God, fuck, I forgot about that. I just remember it was yeah. the Goblin King. <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, how can you forget to spinning those clear balls, getting all rapey with a 14-year-old when you leave? Like, um, clearly wearing tights where you could see if he's getting a hard on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. That thing yeah. did not leave anything to the imagination. No, not at all. But, um, and I'm, I was, am, I was and am such a huge, huge Bowie fan, yeah, too. So, um, but I thought Ledger was just spectacular, man. Like, I, I and I know, um, because I know people that worked in the production and I know people that were involved afterwards that um, it, I know Nolan and, and Christian Bale were just deeply, deeply, deeply heartbroken and affected by it, like profoundly like, um, and you know, I mean, I know um, Bale got kind of prickly and off the reservation after a while, but I would attribute a lot of that to, I think from what I understand him and Keith Ledger became very, very dear friends and, had a, a huge respect for one another. Mm. And when that happened, um, which I have a bit of experience with those kind of losses and man, it can really mess you up. And I can't imagine a circum. I mean, think of what a weird circumstance. So you're in this career defining movie that everyone around you is telling you is a masterpiece is an all time high watermark for genre movies. It's won Oscars. It's hugely successful critically and commercially. So it should be this, high point of your life you should be reveling in it but the whole experience is tempered and undercut by this terrible terrible tragedy yeah. of this guy that you did it with like there, it, it's there's sucks. no guidebook man no, how would you no, deal no. with that i remember uh when uh what's that what's the kid's name that that played indiana jones he died young oh as well. shia no 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 uh, 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 <laughs> no, river, no phoenix. Uh, river, river phoenix, phoenix. Okay. The same thing, like when he passed away, I, that bummed me out. But I think Heath Ledger really hit harder. Uh, oh, really yeah, hit absolutely. Harder. 
Because I think, and everybody, it wasn't just the fact that he won the Oscar posthumously. I think he was always a really good actor. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I think it it was one of those things when you have someone that gifted that you're seeing it play out in real time. This one role transcends that guy from here to here. He like he joins that rarefied air of like greatest of oh, all time. Shit. Yeah, and then to have that just. Now, Vic, Vic and I have talked about that extensively on the podcast, even about the fact that I think The Dark Knight Rises would have been a completely different movie had he still been alive. Because uh, my understanding, or Vic's understanding too, is that he was supposed to play a part in The Dark Knight Rises as well. So he was supposed movie, to close yeah. it out. Yeah, he was supposed to close yeah, it I've, out. I've I've heard that, but I know um, once he. Once he passed, all bets were off. I mean, mm-hmm. I I have friends, like I said, who had worked with Nolan and worked on the production, and um, I've heard whispers and, and different scuttlebutt about what they were planning to do or what he was kicking around. I know David Goyer, who um, works on a bunch of stuff, had written the, or co-written the script. Um, I'd heard he had some plans for some stuff, but you know. And then again, with Bale and Nolan, like. You think of what a weird position like you have to fo- it's one of the all-time great most successful superhero movies you have to follow it up yeah and how do you, you how have do you to do that you know we, we, and how do you exactly yeah. like how do you do that nothing would have how do you even get your head around doing that nothing would have came close um, to it but which we realized but what they put out i don't know i'm not i don't want to shit on it it's just it was not the thing that we thought you know, it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a weird thing, man, because I look back, like, remember we were kids and they would have baseball strikes or basketball strikes. Yeah, yeah. And then like f- for all the years after on the strike years, they always have that asterisk next to it where those <laughs> records are always compromised. <laughs> right, right, like, right. Dark Knight Rises. It's like one of those movies that I have such an affection for those guys. Cause what I know they went through and like, I'm so sympathetic that like, I'll take it. And I, I know there's, it's, um, it's very divisive. I loved Hardy as Bane. I thought it was so ridiculous and absurd. Like I just love the fact that he leaned into it, and it was so crazy. Like oh, I didn't have a I problem loved, with Bane I, at no, all. I didn't, the the plot the no, plot holes the, the, were the, bad. But yeah, yeah, great. the rest of it's kind of silly. But but I thought he was badass, and and I felt bad for him too because he's so talented. And like, what a what a thing to crawl out from under. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you follow? You know what I mean? Or, yeah. Yeah, and dude, and it's like um, Sean Connery from Celebrity Jeopardy with a mask on. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, I just love it, man. I, I would pay to watch Tom Hardy as Bane read like Chinese menus all night. I just, <laughs> just to go to dinner and have him read sing, menus and talk to waiters and shit. Sing lullabies it. to you at night. It would have to be oh, like the most, yeah. it would have to be the most like benign, like fucking task ever, like having him read it. Like maybe like oh, reading yeah. like the terms and conditions on an Apple contract. <laughs> or have him do like customer service for a tech company, you know, like, well, it sounds like a hard drive. It's or, like reading, reading like today's specials in like Walmart or Target or some shit like that over the loudspeaker. And now, oh, dude, there's a skit. <laughs> Bane, Bane as a greeter at Walmart with the little blue vest on. Something's- and now you have my, and now you have my permission to shop. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's comedy gold right there. Yeah. Write it down. So that's fantastic. <laughs> when you're uh, when you're storyboarding or before the storyboard happens, how much of the actual movie do they give you? Like, how much of Spider-Man Four did they give you? Did they give you the whole well, thing or just bits and pieces? Um, 
Yeah, but it's it's a subjective thing because every director has a really, really different way of working. Um, Sam's very much like Sam's very collaborative and he's a huge comic geek. Um, so I remember that when I my first meeting, when I first got called into Spider-Man with Sam um, and like I said, I was freaking out and I'm trying to be cool because I don't want to come off like a 12 year old. <laughs> but like I was, you know, I'm, I'm literally like trying not to shit my pants in his office. <laughs> and he was so sweet and so gracious. And I remember right in the middle of the meeting, I started spontaneously laughing and he's looking around and he's like, did I miss something? What's so funny? And I'm like, I just, what fucking alternate reality did I wake up in today where I'm having this conversation with you? It's ridiculous. And then he goes, he's like, well, and he's got this great voice and he's, he's like, okay, buddy, well, I'm going to do you one better. And he pulls out this huge box of Spider-Man action figures and we start blocking out the action scenes with action figures Oh shit! and filming them on his iPhone. And um, so then they give you the script, but the, with that one in particular, the script was in such – it was kind of amorphous. Like that was a, the big problem and ultimately what led to it getting shut down was no one could agree on a final version of the script. And there were so many ideas and so many kind of people contributing and so many people's opinions and you're like chasing that dragon. Um, whereas um, I know Nolan's very, very like, you know, this it is what it is and just do this. And um, and then other other guys give you like a scene and they're like, do three versions of this and I'll pick the best one. Yeah. And you never even have any dealings with him personally at all. So it's, that was it really, just runs it's the really gamut. interesting to hear that because I always thought like he didn't because the third one, while I didn't like it, it was the most it made the most money out of all of them. And, yeah. and so a, a four was inevitable. But I always thought that he didn't do four because the studio interfered with three so badly. Because like, um, I, I know that was my understanding, but I could be completely wrong. I, yeah, I don't. I'm reluctant to say too much because uh, right, I right, don't right. feel like it's my place. Right. Um, I'll tell you from my own experience because I I was privy to a lot of that stuff. I don't think there was any animus or ill will. I I know no. that Sam was a little reluctant because I know his experience with Spider Man wasn't particularly great. I mean that's pretty well established, um, and I know he practically begged them to not force Venom in and which was really sound. Cause he's like Venom's such an iconic character and there's such a huge audience for him. Why would you shoehorn him in a movie that he doesn't belong right, in right. with a director that doesn't by admittedly doesn't have an affinity for him. Th- this was supposed to be the last one. Wait, reboot him with Venom. Everyone's happy. And they're like, no, 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 no. And of course it was kind of a mess. So, when we all came in to do four, the mandate, like, and this was very much, I know everyone involved felt very much the same way that like everyone was there because they love Sam. Everyone's there because they love Spider-Man and they really, really wanted it to be great because you had this sense that he really wanted to go out on a high yeah, note. Yeah. Part of the reason he agreed to come back was because he was hoping to leave on his own terms. And the thing is, man, like I, I understand business is business and I understand that there's a symbiotic relationship between creatives and, and executives. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean it as an indictment because that's a reality. Right, right. But when a guy, when a director makes you multiple billions of dollars, isn't there kind of a point where he earns a little bit of deference? What? You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't you imagine there's a point where it gets where like, well, he did make us like $3 billion. So let's, you know, but, I don't know about this, but let's kind of give him the benefit that's of the doubt. How I felt, you know? That's how I felt about the second movie because I'm watching that going like, this is fucking Sam Raimi. Like, this is I, – I, I, I could not – like, if nobody told me, if I just went in that movie not even knowing Sam Raimi directed that movie – 
I could instantly go Sam Raimi directed this movie because of oh, watching, absolutely, and that's why I loved it so much because they let him do whatever the fuck he Be wanted him. to do. Yeah, that um, that Doctor Octopus sequence where he wakes up yeah. and that's, that's one of dope. the greatest sequences oh he's ever directed. Oh my god, that's, it was that's like Evil Dead yeah. right there. It's that's Evil, the evil dead. dead. Yeah, absolutely, genius, genius shit, um, amazing. And the other thing is, you know, conversely, if Sam after doing that film, it's like, you know what? I don't think Venom's a great fit. Then to me, common sense would dictate, you go, you know what? You're right. Do your thing, knock it out. And we'll save this for a guy that's passionate about it. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, but again, it's not my place. Right. I mean, it, I don't want to speak no, out of no, turn. It's, Cause it's a, it's a money-making thing. It's business. You know, I get all that shit. Yeah. But and anytime, I'm not naive about but anytime, it. But any time like a I studio mean, interferes with the movie, it's never worked out. And, in Spider-Man 3, I, I I don't think I've ever said this on the show. I know I've said this to BJ, but in Spider-Man 3, you can see the differences between uh, Eddie Brock's and Venom scenes versus Sandman scenes. Like, all of the Sandman yeah. scenes were beautiful and gorgeous. And it's very earnest, and very, there's a lot of heart, right. and there's a quality that they have because that's where Sam's heart was. That's what he was really passionate about. He, he that was he, That's what he wanted the movie to be about. Um and he was really invested. And, um, yeah, I agree with you. There's definitely some – you can definitely kind of tell the parts that he was into and the parts that he wasn't. Yeah. But, you know, it still made how many times you have to, a, a how many, shit ton of money. How many so. times you have to kill Uncle Ben? <laughs> a lot, apparently. Um, shit. Um, yeah, man, that's crazy. Um, I haven't seen the new one yet. I've heard it's really, really good. I loved um, Homecoming. And I think Tom Holland is spectacular, I, so I'm really I excited to see the new one. Uh, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. We just reviewed that uh, the other day, so it comes out it nice. Comes yeah, out I, I saw and I didn't listen because I don't. Me and Jen haven't had a chance to see it yet, so yeah, we're kind of saving it for yeah, this week. Yeah, go see it. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. There's some nice. cool parts about it. I'm surprised she hasn't seen it yet. Well, we've both been kind of <laughs> jammed up. I mean, we spent the whole July Fourth holiday just working day and night because she's actually finishing up a second book um she's actually knocked out like two books in as many months which is insane that's a lot of writing um that's crazy good god so um so we agree that we're gonna wait get all our stuff done and then go this week once the pressure's off a little bit and i think she's got jury duty tomorrow which she's dreading i feel lazy (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, exactly no rest for the wicked you know Um, she wrote two books in two months i'm like what did i do i went to oregon no and and jen jen makes me feel like a chump man because i i know how to work and jen's crazy man she's um yeah, she's. It's humbling sometimes how what a badass she is. Wow, that's, um, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it's and and I think um, and even if we weren't as I mean obviously we're super close and super tight and everything, but even if if if, if, if that weren't the case, even just objectively as a person, um, she's she's really something, and it's really inspiring. And and I lean on her a lot creatively because she's got a great sense of. I think we're really good at, at checks and balances with each other creatively because we can be honest with each other. It's never personal. And we both respect each other's point of view because I know she knows what the fuck she's talking about right. and she knows that I do too. So that's a cool relationship. That's, that's, really yeah, cool man, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. That's really cool. It, I really am. You know, what I just thought of too, um, uh, just to go back to you playing. So 
Uh, now I have three movies in my head for the stories that you've told me. <laughs> so the last one was, uh, well, I forget the, oh, the last one was Crossroads with Ralph Macchio. This one, yeah. I'm picturing you and Sam Raimi playing with those Spider-Man toys like in Big. <laughs> in Big? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, or, well, or space balls. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, dude, all right. I'm, I'll tell you guys this story. I, I've, I, I, I've told it to friends and stuff, but I don't think I've ever said it in a forum like this. Um, this is the best Sam story that I got. Oh, awesome. Um, right before, or not long before, I started working with Sam on Spider-Man. My brother got killed in a car accident. Oh, man. Which, which and that, it, actually, he was one of, like, I lost a bunch of family right at the same time, but it kind of, my brother was the the, the, the worst part of it. Mm. And, um, and it was really bad, man. It was just it was just bad all the way around. And it really, it was really a difficult time. And, um, and I, you know, it just, it, it's like having a bomb going off in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, and, and, and it's, it's harder to reconcile because it's nobody's fault. There's not even anyone to be angry. Right, at. It's right. just, it just, just, yeah. And then, you know, his kids and my sister-in-law and my mom, and it just was, it was so bad. Jesus. So, um, I get the call from Sam and um, I'm just kind of the smoke's just clearing enough for me to feel like I can function at all, mm-hmm. you know, just baseline, like deal with shit at all. So um, Sam was just he was so wonderful and it was so exciting because it was kind of the right thing at the right time. Yeah. You know, he was so sweet and friendly and it was a great gig and I was working with great people and we were all really excited. So I'm going to get choked up when I talk about uh-huh. it. So um, a couple months into it, um, back in Baltimore, where my brother lived they had this big kind of charity event slash concert for my brother in his memory. Oh, cool. And, and hundreds of people showed up and they had a charity auction and all these people, it was really beautiful, man. All these people came from all over and, um, and I went and kind of hosted and I played some songs that I'd written and like, it was just the whole thing That's was great. Awesome. So I was a little reluctant because I hadn't been on the project that long. And I, I, you know, I don't know Sam well enough. I take nothing for granted. I'll put it that yeah. way. So I go to him in his office and I said, Sam, listen, I, I have to take off. I a need a day bit. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I'm like, I, I got to kind of do this thing. And he's like, well, what is it? And so I kind of explain it to him. And and he's like, well, what do you need? And I'm like, well, I just need a couple of days off. And I'm like, no. He's like, no, 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 no. What do you, what do you need? And I just wasn't, I'm like, I just You're not need prepared time enough. off. Yeah. Like, and he's like, no, no. He's like, listen, he's like, I know you're a fan. And I have this huge warehouse full of shit from my movies and all this stuff. He's like, put me down for whatever, whatever you think will sell at this auction and include it and get whoever wins, whatever, get their information and bring it back with you. And I'll personalize it. And we'll send uh, I'll it. I'll give you Toby McGuire for the weekend to spend with whoever you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, that's, just that that's alone. So dude, that fucking was so awesome. Oh my God. Well, wait, wait. So, so I'm totally taken aback. You know, it's just, I thought it was amazing and so gracious of him. Like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, 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 man. He's like, don't, just he's like i tell you what he's like you go back to work let me see what i can do he's like come back later in the day and let's see what we can figure oh out God, I'm like, you know so you don't funny. really he's like no 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 don't worry about it don't worry about it so sure enough he grabs me in the hall at like as he's leaving like five that night he's like jeff come here buddy come here i got something i want to show you so he went in on his own now, now him goes in on his own and i guess they had a collection of posters from all over the world Right. In languages and different type treatments and all this oh, kind of cool. stuff. So he like got this portfolio together of 
um, posters from like um, Drag Me to Hell and Army of Darkness, oh Spider Man, like all his work, and and got like so there was one that was Japanese, one that was Israeli, one that was like Turkish, one that was Italian, one that was you know for, like everywhere, everywhere, and then on top of that, he gives me a couple Blu-ray sets and he's like, okay, um, will this do? And I'm just trying not to burst into tears in the guy's lap. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, that's yeah, great. Yeah, it's really, whatever. You know. It's okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks, dude. It's cool. I'm going to go get some chicken. So um, so I, I leave. The thing's wonderful. And this dad, um, a, a guy ends up uh, bidding and winning this stuff for his kid, who's not only a huge comic geek, but an aspiring filmmaker, right? Nice. So I get the, the guy's information and he's super sweet and, um, I, you know, I meet the kid and it's just, the whole thing was really great, man. Considering how, what a terrible thing it's for. Right. It was really wonderful. That's awesome. And, um, so I come back and I, you know, Sam first thing, he's all super excited. He said, come on, buddy. So he brings me to his office and we sit down and he's, and the thing about like, I'm not saying this is exclusive to Hollywood people because it's not like Hollywood has some monopoly on assholes. But <laughs> no, they're but, everywhere. <laughs> you know, but you can tell when when someone's really engaged when they're asking you something, or if they're just asking as a courtesy right. and politely waiting for you to finish talking so they can get on. Right, right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? There's a very clear difference, and Sam's very much like there. So he sits me down, and you know, and he's he's all gung ho, and he's like, always oh, excited. He's like, so tell me about it. Who, like who showed up? How'd it go? Was it a success? You know, what's going on? How do you feel? Are you okay? How's your mom? I'm like, oh man, it was wonderful, and blah blah. He's like, okay, so tell me about the auction. So I'm like, well, um, I told him who bought it and what for, and he's like, okay, that's great. Do you have the information? I said, yeah. And he's like, okay, leave it with me and come back at the end of the day. Oh I'm shit! Like, all right, cool. <laughs> so so check this out. So I go and we'll do the thing, and I come back at the end of the day, and. Man, this gets me. So I come in and he's got he, – now he's got this um, – we've got production offices on the Sony lot, right? So he's in his office and he's got this whole portfolio of big-ass like 26 by 36, wow. you know, 36 by 4, whatever. And they're all spread out on the whole surface of his floor. And he's on his hands and knees with a Sharpie going back and forth between all of them, personalizing oh all of them. Oh, my for this God. Kid. Wait, and not just that. He actually wrote this kid this really long letter saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're a fan and I, I love Spider-Man too. And if you want to do this, you can, and, you know, be good in school and be good to your mom and, and listen to your parents. They love you. And, Holy and God. then, then, and continue that on for like five posters. Then he gets to the Blu-ray set. So you oh, pull the first one out. And it's like, now remember what I said about your mom. And the second <laughs> one comes down and like, now remember what I said about listening to your yeah. teachers. And, you better not get rid dude, of that like, shit, man. So, <laughs> you better keep that so, forever. But exactly. But think about it. So objectively, even if this guy was your uncle who wasn't famous, wasn't a cop, if just as a normal human act of kindness – that's amazing. Yeah. But the fact that he is who he is and he's running the ship on a troubled $200 million film and he would take the time to do something like that for me that's and my family. Cow, man. And I just stood there like I was in awe, dude. Like I just was like, what is, who does what that is going on? Yeah. That, that's, who does that? Well, you just, I mean, I've already, I already love the guy and I've never met him, but that just, that, that's really i mean and yeah dude and then he he kind of looked up and he was like all excited and he's like what do you think and i'm literally I mean i'm not exaggerating i'm literally trying not to fucking fall apart in his doorway yeah, yeah. and i think he saw me struggling with it a little bit yeah 
And yeah. uh, he jumps up and he throws the pen down. He comes up and he gives me a hug and he's like, it's all right, man. You're all right. Wow. And dude, who does, who, who does, does that? that? So that, what a classy um, fucking guy, man. Yeah, man. And so that really, that guy really holds a special place in my heart and that experience, not just because of the timing, cause you know, it was on the heels of this terrible thing, but it also really, because I've worked with a lot of directors on a lot of projects and I've had a lot of experiences, good and bad. You know, as everybody does. I'm not saying I, it's just me. I mean, everyone in, in the business does. But it, but it really punctuated that for every asshole you hear about, for every vapid, narcissistic douche puppet that you hear stories about, there's someone like here that you don't hear about because he's not – you don't do that kind of stuff for the attention. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a big difference. Um, you do shit when no one's looking. You do shit yeah, and, not for publicity just because you're And, a dude, person. I just – it just meant the world to me. It still means the world to me. I just – I will never, ever forget that. If I live to be 200 fucking years old, I will and, never and forget you, how much I And you worked on, with him again on Oz, right? The Great and Powerful Oz? Yeah, and actually, so when Spider-Man got shut down, um, we I spent a couple months with him working on – he was going to do a World of Warcraft movie, and that – ended up not happening. Oh, Dun- Duncan then, Jones, I think took that over. Yeah. He, he, he much later. Yeah. But we, me and Sam put in months and months on that and we just couldn't crack it because of the kind of, you know, it's, and it's blizzards prerogative, well, for, man. It's their thing. Good reason. Cause they, they saw it. Yeah. Saw it. Mm. yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was their right. They wanted what they wanted yeah. and that really, you know, but whatever, it was fun. And, and then we did Oz and Oz was wild and cool and crazy and stuff. And, um, yeah. And then, um, I don't think Sam's, I don't think he's direct. I know he's directed some TV and produced some stuff, but I don't think he's directed a feature since then. I know he has a lot of stuff in production. And then, um, right when my tenure on Oz ended, um, we had talked about doing some stuff together, like me writing or, or because by the time I was done with him, I was like doing a lot of voiceover stuff and acting and writing and like, yeah. um, so he was super encouraging and he's like, Hey, you know, you should be doing this and not this. And I love your boards, but you should be doing this and blah, 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 blah. And then, um, I just know that he, he got real involved in TV and I think he got divorced, which, you know, that's kind of hands off. Like that's, yeah, that's uh, a tough, you know, that's a tough. So, and he's got five kids and they mean the world to him and they're, they're all great. And like, so, you know, I mean, that's just, you get kind of swallowed up down that rabbit hole and, so um, hopefully when he's ready to do a movie again, <laughs> I'll hear from him and he'll kick ass. But um, drop I, but I don't think he, yeah, but I don't think he has in all this time. I think he's he did did that. Um, they did the Ash and, and um, Evil Dead TV show, and I know that new movie Crawl, the one about oh, the shit, Gators. That could, I know yeah, he produced. I think he's kind of like Spielberg right now in the '80s, where he just sat back and just he's just producing shit, you know, not directing. Yeah, anymore. I think he's just kind of chilling and kind of waiting to see how the chips fall. Yeah. I know he got approached about um, a couple of different big superhero things that he didn't bite on, but you know, I I mean, as far I, as I know, everything's good. And- I, I I I like the Raimi that doesn't do the big budget shit. I I like I like his original stuff or. You know, or the more intimate or more indie type stuff. I, I, I mean, his big budget stuff's awesome, but I like it when he goes back to his roots and does, you know, his yeah, own shit. Yeah, and it's so, and it's so idiosyncratic. Like what he does is so singularly and uniquely his own thing. Like it seems like the bigger the budget gets, the more of that has to be held under wraps. And I would just see rather see him go nuts 
just indulging all I, his biggest eccentricities. Yeah, I think abs- that's absolutely. Cool. Because a lot of times, I think we, you talked about it earlier, a lot of times when something makes a lot of fucking money, then the next movie, instead of letting the director do whatever they want, they, they the executives jump in and start taking control. It's like, well, wait a minute. Let them do, yeah. let them do his shit. That shit worked. Everybody yeah. loved it. Yeah. Leave it alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't know, man. Sometimes sometimes that can backfire if you want to look at the prequels as a reason for you need somebody to say no. That's true. But I I just need to point out that I've been quiet this whole time because it's taken me 206 episodes. But that story that you told about Sam Raimi, uh, I was actually tearing up over here and I didn't know if I could talk. Oh, man. Well, that's... I didn't mean to get you upset. I, no, that's a, no, it's a it's a good upset. That's, it's a it's a, a great upset. upset, and it makes it puts everything into perspective of how I felt about him not doing a Spider Man four. I really wanted to see just his version of what he wanted to do, and it makes me upset even more after hearing that story that he never got to do it. Yeah, I, I, well, I could just from my own thing, I can tell you, um, I think we were close, and I think. If the, if we had had a chance to do it, I think it would have been really, really, really cool. Yeah. Because he – and, and you know what's interesting, man? Um, a lot of what we had was in our script – and now I'll preface this. In no way am I suggesting anybody took anything or misappropriated. Right. Or, right. I, I don't mean that at all because there's a commonality. You're doing Spider-Man. It's going to happen. But a lot of the script for Spider-Man 4 I saw in Spider-Man Homecoming and in Into the Spider-Verse had a lot of stuff in there. Wow. Anything um, that you can name? Well, there was a couple. Well, the Vulture was um, the main villain of Spider-Man 4. That, I heard that too. Yeah. And the and the reason, at least how we left it when we were talking about was the reason they called him the vulture was because he was so ruthless that he would leave nothing but bones behind. Oh, that's cool. And that, um, and then the spider verse thing, like when they did the beat Spider-Man four, we had planned it on ending it where Peter Parker, Spider-Man essentially dies and Peter allows the public to have this great funeral so he can be free of it and finally have a life and like get married and, and, and have a normal life. Cause he can't the it, the whole thing is he can't ever find a balance between Spider-Man and being Peter Parker. Oh, the, and he's the, still a young guy. The Dark Knight Rises ending. <laughs> yeah, but it was, but the, the one they did in Spider-Verse with MJ at the thing and the things and all the people with the mass in the crowd, it was so similar to what we're doing. I actually squeezed Jen and I was like, oh my God, that's just wow. like, um, which is a good thing. Cause I thought yeah, Spider yeah. into the Spider-Verse is one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. We, we That was our favorite movie last year. Oh my uh, God. Uh, hands down. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, I just I remember such a surprise. We went to a screening of it, and um, and Jen turned to me and she's like, "Dude, shut your mouth!" And I'm like, "I didn't say anything." She's no, I mean literally, close your mouth. You're like, <laughs> you're fucking jaws hanging open. You're embarrassing me, goddamn it! <laughs> Stop drooling. She's like, she's like, I haven't even roofied you yet. Like, close your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. Awesome. But yeah, and it was, you know, I don't know, man. I have this thing, I think, in general, or I, I try to anyway, as just a life uh, philosophy sounds really corny and pretentious, but just as, a, as an outlook that just because something is finite doesn't mean it doesn't have as much value. Or, I mean, uh, just because something has a beginning and an end and it doesn't go on forever doesn't mean that you can't, it can't, you can't get a huge wealth of what you need out of it. Um, it's the same thing that sucks like pet ownership. You know what I mean? Like, is the shelf life. Like, you always, 
99 out of 100 times, the whatever little animal you love is going to die before you. Yeah. So do you preemptively not let yourself get close to it for fear of how terrible that's going to be? Or do you embrace it knowing that the wonderful relationship you've had with it is worth that horrible ending? Yeah. You know? Right. Um, and and again, I mean, I know that's filtered through kind of my own personal experiences, but I really try to keep that in mind because um, – I don't know, especially in Hollywood, man, the nature of all this shit is so transient. And I think people get so hung up on the wrong shit. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to have things defined by something that's ultimately going to be right. disposable. I don't, yeah. I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. um, so yeah, it's a bum. I mean, the band thing's a good parallel. Like just because we didn't end up becoming Led Zeppelin or having a platinum album doesn't make my experiences any less valid. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, you, I mean, you cherish those things. You remember those yeah, things. Yeah, and, and I don't need that. Ch- I mean, I'm, I'm a lot of things, but I don't think a megalomaniac's maniac's one of them. Like, I don't need I don't need that to validate it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like no, but I know people that are like that. Like, because you didn't get the award, so it's all worth it. So I, I, I was just going to ask you, too. Like, have you ever watched or played something that you worked on and said, oh, wow, that's my drawing. Holy shit. Like, that's my, yeah. that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. Dude, well, when I, I have a whole thing on my website. Like, the first time I went into 7-Eleven and saw um, Slurpee Cups, the Spider-Man 3 Slurpee Cups, that was, like, a huge milestone. I, I was, like, that's going to the awesome. counter. I'm like, dude, this is totally my venom. And he's like, okay, man, cool. Yeah, that's, that's like great. That, that's like that thing you do, like, oh, my song's on the radio. That's me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, yeah, dude, call me when the shuttle lands. Thanks. So, uh, <laughs> I actually have those Slurpee Cup things. Oh, no fucking way. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I have this. Amazing. I have this thing of having to collect like movie Slurpee cups or movie cups. Like wow. I, I have an absorbent amount of like cups that should not be the sizes that they are because they <laughs> come from great. the movie theater or Slurpees. So yeah. I have your. I have like the. I have like Thor Slurpee cup. I have, oh, there you go. Like so the AM, the yeah. AMC lenticular one that looks like seventies baseball cards. Like when you flip it and he moves, oh, there's like yeah, you know, yeah. Um, well, that's cool, man. That's I wish I did. I, I, th- I have pictures, but I don't have any of them. That's but, crazy. Um, so I've, yeah, I've drank out of your cup. Oh, well, that's that's well, so that hot. Could, that could. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds a little dirty. Yeah, uh, I'm just saying it, ha- it happened. Well, I is like there, where this is going. Just keep talking. Hey, is there is there one IP that you really wanted to work on and have actively like pursued it? I mean, is there anything out there that Dude, you're like I want to fucking yeah. work on this? Yeah, there. Well, as a storyboard artist, there was one specifically which was Watchmen. I desperately. Oh man, um, that would have been amazing. I actually have the only tattoo I have is the Rorschach blot on my arm from that. But Watchmen's another one of those seminal things. That just yeah, blew my head off. But um, I actually met with Zack Snyder the day Three Hundred came out, and wow. I had done I had done a Watchmen <coughs> portfolio on my own, um, just as like an audition piece. But at the time, um, I was I, I hadn't really gotten in yet. I wasn't I was kind of on a probationary thing with the union and you have to yeah. be in the union to do that kind of work. Yeah. And um and he's got Dave Gibbons for Christ's sake. I was just so gonna like, say he probably has the actual artist doing it for him. Yeah, like, yeah. So and he was really, kid. <laughs> and he was really cool, man. He was That's really cool. cool about it. And he, you know, and he we like took pictures and I talked to him for uh, quite a bit and you know, he was super gracious and he was great. And um and he's like, listen, he's like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. He's like, I got Dave Gibbons, I've got a guy I work with for a long time. He's like, however, it's a huge production. If the opportunity avails itself, I give you my word, I'll give you I'll give you a shot. Oh, that's and cool. like six months later, 
um, he sent me a email and just said, Hey man, I'm, you know, I'm sorry it didn't work out, but I got your stuff on file and I really like your stuff. And it was great meeting you, you know, which was, it was just, a, it, that's classy again. That's yeah. Classy. It was, it was nice to at least have the effort acknowledged, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry. When now you, now you've made that. me feel bad for shitting on a lot of his movies. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't that, like all this stuff. Listen, but. man, the DC universe shit and him being nice to me are mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, cool. We're good. You know, because yeah, I mean, I um, I I Suicide Squad made me so well, not um, Batman v Superman specifically, because I I view those two kind of like two halves of the same whole. Right. Right. Um, whole um but batman <laughs> batman v superman um actually i was really pissed off like after i saw it um partly because i love the characters and so much but partly because it, it was like so close like it's weird man like as a guy that works in that stuff i could i could see kind of where he i could see what he was trying to do but it just wasn't that and like oh, I, dude, you're, you're uh, preaching to the choir, dude. We we've done so many podcasts on. Oh that. my god, and, and, and it could have been so badass. We, we, and dude, I I thought Ben Affleck was great. Yeah. I thought Gal Gadot was great. Um, I thought Henry Cavill. I dude, I love I love Superman. Superman's like in my top of all time. Like I was actually just talking to Jen about this the other. I had this whole. This is really weird. I woke up the other day and I told Jen I had this really super super vivid dream about being in the superman movie and that i was sitting in the room with gene hackman and ned Beatty when they were doing their thing and i just and i woke up and i looked at her i was like otisburg well (laughs) otisburg and um and i and i just kept thinking there's there's a it's not a mystery why as primitive and as comparatively sweet and kind of naive that movie is, why it still resonates and why it still is considered a benchmark right. versus the high tech versions from later on. And I, I don't think, I don't want to shit on what Cavill did because I, he's a really good actor. And I think he was bound. I think it was a conceptual problem more than a performance problem. Oh, definitely. He definitely. was doing the best he could. I like, I would love to see him do I would love to see Henry Cavill's Superman done with like an appropriate. We we got touch. to yeah. see a little bit of it at the end of Justice. At the League. very very end, the, the, we we've talked about this too. We're like we're like it's okay to make Superman a little emo in the beginning or or put upon or whatever it is. But Superman, like Christopher Reeve version, he loved being Superman. You saw him smiling oh, and yeah, I mean yeah. the joy of being Superman. I mean yeah, it's a lot of shit to do. But I, I just it was very charming, and I just love that. And and a, and a huge heart, man. It had huge heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was, um, Christopher Reeve. I think he, him and Mark Hamill have this in common, where they were so good in these respective iconic roles. I don't think they get nearly the credit they do. Strictly, I'm talking as a from a technical acting perspective, yeah. Yeah. dude. Christopher Reeve as Superman is not only one of the greatest film performances ever because he's playing two different completely independent characters but dude he was barely out of juilliard people forget dude when he did that movie he was fucking 24 years old yeah like 
That's crazy. We, we, That's we ta- crazy. We talk about the scene all the time in the second one where he drops the the comb into the fire. Oh my god, dude! And he tur- he turns into fucking Superman from Clark Kent right before your eyes. Absolutely. Like, he straightens up, you know, and you're like, holy shit, you know. And that that little transformation, I was like, how the fuck did he do that, dude? Like, or- I, I, Gene Hackman is inarguably one of the greatest actors that ever breathed oxygen ever. Yeah, Fuck yeah. you. I don't care. He's one no, of the I greatest love, I ever. I love Gene Hackman. For a 24-year-old recently graduated drama student to hold his own in a movie that big, playing one of the largest, most iconic characters in the history of the medium, and holding your own against Gene Hackman at the height of his powers – Fuck you. <laughs> that's that's insane, dude. That's that's insane. And then like to go back and forth because Clark Kent is absolutely a different thing. And um the one of the things um that I remember when I saw um Kill Bill Volume Two and when you guys have seen that, I'm sure. Oh right? yeah, yes. I love yeah, yeah. so and Bill gives the speech about how Clark Kent is Superman's indictment on us. That's one of the greatest monologues ever written. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. All that I can think of is Reeve doing those two roles as he was saying that shit. Yep. It, was, it blew my fucking geek mind, dude. I was like, oh my God, I'll never recover from this. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was such a great, yeah, that was a great, great monologue. Really quickly, let's go back to that dream. Where was Miss Tessmacher? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> In the, in the pool, and she gets out. And again, if you talk to Jen again, tell her she'll verify this. Because I specifically said, because Jen asked me the same thing, and I said, she looked and she's like, Lex, my mother lives in Hackensack. And he looks down, looks up, and he's like, mm mm. <laughs> <laughs> little, little, little head shake. Uh, and I was just sitting there like a fly in the wall going, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, I was picturing like her, like, uh, like, written. Fast Times at Ridgemont High getting out of the pool like, you know, Phoebe Cates. Like the Phoebe Cates thing? Yeah. <laughs> no, not too much. I was like, wow, this that's the porno version of Superman. Yeah. yeah. I think I can only subvert so many tropes at one time. <laughs> you know? That is the porn parody of Superman. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, Star Wars Corsair. So how did, oh. how did, how did that... Corsair. Uh, um, Corsair, yeah. Well, um... So, like I said, man, I had had this weird thing where um, I had this like this series of family tragedies that were really bad. And um, it just I, I had to suspend a lot of plans for myself. And I don't want to mischaracterize it like I was glad to do it. I don't say it with any animus or resentment like. But, you know, I, I it just I had to put some shit on hold for a while to kind of help my family through it and then kind of help myself through it. And just, it was a lot, man. It was just, it was a lot. So, um, that culminated actually ended up working in China for a period and, um, going over there and working with this animation company doing this huge, big budget Chinese animated movie. And, um, when I came back, um, which was the end of 15, um, me and Jen had this long talk and she was great as she always is. And she was like, listen, you know, um, I know you've been through this thing and, and you've had to kind of put some stuff off. So why don't we just like new year, new lease on life? Like, let's you just do what you want. You know, you, you don't owe anybody anything. You've done your due diligence. Like, and almost right after that, I heard about this contest they were having. And I just thought, well, it seemed kind of providential. And I, once I 
looked into the contest, it was a really tight deadline. They, there were really restrictive rules, which I loved because I thought it won't give me any time to be precious. It won't give me any time to overthink yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a one-stop shop. Like if I, you know, no delusions of grandeur, but I'm like, if I can pull this <laughs> off, um, maybe it's, it, it, I can make up for some lost time with this one little project. And it's nice. a good way to kind of kickstart some stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, um, in a very short period of time, like I wrote a script and I, I did some boards and then there were some buddies and we did a kick, uh, GoFundMe thing, raised some money and um, did some scouting. And I mean, it was a really short time frame. And um, it doesn't we just, look like it. <laughs> we built, it really we built, built all the props ourselves and um, we just had this assembly line of like ordering shit from Amazon and Etsy. And then those guys <laughs> had like this assembly line where they were like steel wool and um, paint and alcohol to like weather everything and make it look all old and shitty. And then a buddy of ours who worked for Henson gave us this Iron Man 3D printed Iron Man helmet he had sitting ah, around. We had, that and was a question that Vic had for you. Yeah. And <laughs> was we that the totally, Black Series Iron Man helmet? <laughs> yeah, we, we totally repurposed that, like low rent repurposed it into the robot helmet. That's hilarious. Um, so our liquid budget for all that stuff was you know, like $9, dude. It was ridiculous. And <laughs> the, the interesting thing was we had raised some money through this GoFundMe thing, and they were the GoFundMe people were fantastic too, but – the vast majority of our money, I mean, really, like the vast bulk of it went to permits and insurance. Um, we had really, really, really little bit of cash left for like oh, props wow. and that kind of stuff um, because we wanted – we found this location that was actually by the Glamis Dunes, like Imperial Valley. Um, it was kind of about three hours southeast of L.A., um, it's a real popular spot with like um, quads and, and you know people doing stuff on quads in the dunes. Um, and it was this beautiful location. And I guess it's not that far. I guess the Return of the Jedi barge set is out there somewhere, oh, not that far Sarlacc, away. Sarlacc pit and all that. But dude, when you, it's this you know three and a half hour drive through the desert, and then you go by like the um, the Salton Sea and up over this hill, and it dude, and it literally you go over this ridge. And it's just, it looks like Tatooine. It's like rolling oh sand dunes as far as the eye can see. Oh, my God. And then, um, you know, and we just got the permits and we got a great DP. And we had a um, one of the guys I was doing it with had a drone and he was really good at operating it. But then when we went to actually shoot, um, the first day of shooting, no, the second day of shooting, there was a windstorm so bad that it blew our, it almost blew our RV Holy over. Holy shit! Just and, like the, just like the original films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yay, yay for Star Wars. And, um, and we ended up not being able to use the drone at all. And Alex, the girl who um, on the crew, uh -huh. got swallowed up by a dune to where we were doing the shot. Where and dude, I grossly, grossly underestimated how physically demanding it is to work on sand dunes. Oh like, yeah. If I, if you ever hear me talk about working in sand dunes again, just just punch, punch me in the, in the face as hard as you can. <laughs> and, um, but she ended up st literally getting swallowed and like, we're pulling her out of it and she's screaming and the, the, the DP's on the hill with like looking at it on an iPad. He's like, that looks great, dude. You're really selling it. Oh I'm like, ass, motherfucker. She's going to die. <laughs> she's getting, it's like quicksand, man. Just so, like a film, just like a filmmaker. I gotta, I gotta yeah. keep rolling. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. He's like, shut it off. It's about to be you a You really look film. like you're suffering. You're suffering. Um, <laughs> 
It's not but, a you snuff know, it was, film. It was, uh, yeah. No, no actual, um, yeah, yeah. It was no people were actually hurt in the making of the film. But it, <laughs> right. But it, it was really fun. And, and, um, you know, and, and again, we didn't have any expectations. We just put it in and, and it kind of blew up. And then we ended up going to London and, and it, it kind of turned into a thing. That's and crazy. It was really fun, man. It, and everyone was super gracious. And then we heard from, um, Clayton Sandell, who's a correspondent for ABC, and it just the timing of it just so worked out where through this freak series of um, circumstances online, he got wind of the GoFundMe campaign and he reached out and was like, hey, we're doing a story about fan films. Can we shadow your production? So ABC Nightline sent him and this whole film crew out to shoot our last day of shooting. So they were shooting us shooting the movie. And then at the same time that happened. Um, so much of the end of the, the little story was stormtrooper dependent and I couldn't find any stormtroopers. And on top of that, what I needed technically was actually sand troopers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Who are even more hard to find. Yep. So I couldn't find any anywhere. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know how to make them. I didn't know what to do. And Jen being the rock star resourceful little minx that she is. I got um, Let me call she, Lucas. Hold on. No, she, she was at a comic book convention that weekend and she saw some dude rolling by in a sand troop outfit. She jumped up from behind the counter and she stopped it, but she's like, I need to talk to you about my, bro- my boyfriend's doing a Star Wars movie and you guys got to do it. And so she negotiates with this guy. He's part of the 501st. Who's like this huge nationwide yep. network of stormtroopers who do stuff yep. for charity. She gets me in hold of him. He gets me in hold of them. And so this whole cat troop of like 12 of them show up film ready and rad amazing. They did it for nothing. And, and which doubly sucks because we had totally budgeted to pay them what we could, like whatever it was. And it got so tight and we went so over, we ended up not being able to. And to, and if I would, they were all so wonderful and I'm still, I'm still tight with a lot of them and still talk to them to this day. And, um, and they, they made the whole thing because without them, I don't know what the hell we would have done. And they were so amazing and so on point and they were so cool. And um, we just had such a great time. It was it was like, I mean, it was adolescent wish fulfillment. Even if it had turned out like shit, the fact that I got, even in the little infinitesimal little speck of a way, I got to contribute to that universe. It, do, you, um, do, you, do you find that when, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but but for me, when I'm, when I've had, just uh, a shitstorm of things happen to me that your creativity is like just uh, huge, just enormous. Oh, dude, it's my, my, my whole life. I mean, it's a center yeah. because that's the only, um, let me think. I don't want to speak. Uh, I don't okay. want to say something that I'll regret. Let me find. Right, right. No, no, I, I, um, I, it's hard my, to kind of explain to people. Yeah. My, if I didn't have the ability to be creative, I would be, lost. I mean, because everything in my life goes back to that. And I'm not, um, I'm not saying it like it's a good or bad thing or better or worse thing, because I don't mean it that way at all. I it's very personal and intimate just to me, just how how I grew up and what my experiences have been consistently the saving grace in my life over and over again, what's gotten me through the worst and most difficult things in my life without fail has been being creative because it gives me somewhere to put it and um and that's a good that's a good that's i I never thought of it that way that is actually a good point well thanks and i think the only benefit to like a lot of the a lot of the more difficult stuff that i've ever experienced the only benefit to it is that it translates like um 
because it, 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 instead of it just being this horrible thing that you carry around, um, it can feel whether you're writing or acting, you can find somewhere creative to put it. And then it doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And the other benefit is I've had a, I've been really fortunate where I've had opportunity to, um, to counsel other people that have had like really difficult losses. And, um, and that makes me feel good too, because if there's a silver lining, um, it's like having a superpower that nobody wants, you know? (laughs) Um, Right, right. I get it. And, and I think, and I, and I think anyone who's creative, um, anyone, however that manifests. M- and again, I'll preface this. This is just my own belief. I'm not. This isn't a blanket statement. It's just a very personal thing to me. But I've always felt like the demarcation line with people is less black, white, gay, straight, male, female, conservative, Republican, Democrat, whatever. I always felt that it was creative and non-creative. And I don't mean that as a judgment or as a qualification. I'm not saying one's better or worse than the other. I'm not saying one's lesser or more than, I don't mean it. I really don't mean it that way. I just mean that I feel that creative people in a very real academic way experience day-to-day life differently than non-creative people do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that it's better or worse. I just think it's different. It's like if two people who speak different languages, English isn't better than Japanese. It's just different. Um, And I think that the one, the the deciding factor is I think creative people that, however, again, however that manifests, whatever your thing is, that mechanism that allows you to be creative, I think that door swings both ways. And I think creative people by design are more, vulnerable to insecurity, Mm. to depression, to Mm. um, alcohol and drug abuse, um, because so much of the nature of how you live is based on other people judging this intensely personal thing that you do all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, More so so since the internet came out. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, (laughs) and there's no getting around it. It goes back to the dawn of time. You know, I mean, Mel Brooks did a great riff. One of my favorite movies is The History of the World Part 1. Dude, please. That's so good. Absolute (laughs) favorites. But one of my favorite scenes in it is there's a scene um, where there's a caveman doing the first cave painting on the first cave wall. (laughs) (laughs) And And then Orson Welles does this really heavy narration. He's like, and... Since the first artist does this beautiful painting, and what follows is the first critic, critic and then critic. and then you see Shecky Green in his caveman outfit, like holding his hands up to, it, and then you just see the guy standing there rubbing his chin, and then he pisses on him. <laughs> that, That's that so in, fucking true, dude. That encapsulates the whole experience right there, man. Like, and again, I don't have any point of reference. Again, like it's. I really want to stress this. I'm not judging. I'm not. I, I, I don't mean it that way. I, and and I'm, I can only speak from my own experience, Yeah. but um, you know, and I, and I wouldn't, I love what I do. I love being this way, um, this way. I mean, cause I know I'm kind of an eccentric. I know that I, I I'm like all but unemployable in the real world anymore. Like I, <laughs> I know that. And um and I'm okay with it. You make choices and you make your peace with them. And like, I, this I works for me. I don't know if it will Starbucks. Yeah, but, <laughs> I can't but, work but, at Walmart. Like, but I don't know if, um, I, I don't, I just don't know anything. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything else. Like I'm, I'm yeah. from the inside looking out yeah. and, um, and I'm very grateful that I have the outlets that I do because, um, I absolutely believe that if I didn't have them, you'd be dead I, right now. <laughs> I'd be in jail. I'd be dead, or I'd be a Bond villain. Like those right, are the right. only. <laughs> that's it. 
Um, <laughs> I like the Bond villain. <laughs> and um, and I'm and uh, you know, and I, I I mentioned it earlier, dude. I'm protective of my inner child. I'm grateful yeah. that I have this like adolescent enthusiasm that I do. Fuck yeah, man. And I'm I'm really protective of it because I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be pissed off all the time. This shit's boring, man. No, like that's what everybody does. And 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 I, th- and, I th- and again. Uh, just I, I struggle with it sometimes in general in, in LA in, in the business quote unquote because I think it becomes so inculcated and so much like in a echo chamber it's so like closed into itself I think it's easy for people to lose perspective I think it's easy to people to lose um, to get their priorities fucked up and yeah and I don't, I don't want that, man. I don't, I don't want to forget where I came from. I don't want to, you know, like, um, I got into this thing a couple months ago and I don't, I don't want to get too specific, but I got right. into an argument with a dude who's a filmmaker and someone whom I respect, but well, less so after this experience, but, and he was going on and on about how hard filmmaking is and how no one understands and how it's such a burden. And it's so, and actually really got pissed off and i was like man all due respect but that's bullshit yeah and he looked like i hit him with a rock and he's like what are you talking about i'm like man fuck you making movies hollywood's hard fuck you i'm like you know it's hard taking care of a parent with fucking alzheimer's is hard living in syria is fucking hard being on (laughs) patrol in fucking afghanistan during a night watch is hard get living being in a fucking van Worrying about if you're going to get put in jail trying to cross the border to have a better life for your kids is fucking hard. That's hard. You know, you you get to you you get to pass through this golden gateway that one out of every ten million people get to experience. You get to do pretend, yeah, yeah. Like, get over yourself, man. Like, you know, being a pediatric surgeon is fucking hard. Living <laughs> living with fucking AIDS is hard. Losing your eyesight is hard. Losing a child is fucking hard. Being a parent of a kid that gets shot down in a fucking school is hard. Chinese, Chinese algebra is fucking hard. Come on, yeah, yeah, man. But I'm, but you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, no, I totally, I t- um, it's fucking perspective. Get some goddamn perspective. And I like, mean, I, I take what I do really seriously, but I don't take myself that seriously. I'm an overgrown twelve year old that draws fucking Spider Man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I not that I don't value what I do, and not that I'm not grateful that it I, that it doesn't have a place or that doesn't resonate with people, as all this stuff does. Like. I, I love it. Christ, dude. I, I go to the, I went and saw Avengers Endgame and started laughing to myself. Cause I'm like, I, when I was a kid, I loved all this shit so much. I figured there'd be a better pan- chance of a polar bear being elected president than ever seeing an Avengers movie. Well, that actually happened. So I, if, <laughs> as if to make my point, you know, um, but I just, I think it's important, man. Cause I think it's easy to let a, a lot of that shit run away with you. And I understand you're talking about big money and budgets but, and corporations and executives. But you look at, but you just made a point earlier that you don't like Sam, like Sam Raimi knows what's important. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you, you can have this awesome fantasy job, but then you need to remember what the fuck is important in life. Yeah. And I, and again, it's not a blanket indictment because I've, for the most part, my experiences have been wonderful. I've met yeah. a lot of amazing people. Yeah, of and, and listen, man, seriously, just because someone's really successful or really accomplished or really rich, doesn't inherently make them anything. There's there's rich people who are phenomenal and there's rich people who are assholes. It's but that's a human thing. That's not a Hollywood thing. That's a exactly. human thing. Yeah, that's a anything. Yeah. Yeah, course. I mean, so I try to take people as I find them and I try to judge them based on the merits on their merits as individuals um just as I would want someone to do with me. But 
Um, but I, you know, I have run into that a little bit where it, it gets a little, I don't know, a little myopic, you know, where it's like, come on, man. Like, is it, is that, is that a hundred years? Anyone really going to give a shit? Like, um, <laughs> no, probably not. I remember. Well, um, they still years- give a shit about the Snyder cut. So, <laughs> dude, still you, going on I mean, and on about those movies. Jesus. Dude, the, go. to- the toxic fandom, man. Get, come yeah. on. Speaking of like perspective, like, what are you doing? Get, yeah. Like, sh- come on. Like, you should be lucky it exists at all. I mean, uh, I'm just happy it exists. Uh, yeah, we get, we get, we get mad about shit and then move on, you know, because there's something around the corner that we love that's coming out, you know? Yeah. And oh, shit. Did you see that Mulan trailer today, by the way? I don't know if I you did, had time to do I did not. Jen uh, uh, said it was great. I haven't seen it yet. We're so fucking excited about that. So really? That's, yeah. Um, because I like the anime, um, the anime, the art, the animated one. But when I was in China, you know, because that's an old Chinese legend. That, that's, yeah, yeah. I actually have an edition of um, one of the guys I was working with gave me this really old um, edition of Mulan in Mandarin that I still have. It's oh beautiful. wow, oh cool. Um, so yeah, I'm actually going to watch that right when we're done. But um, yeah, I just don't, I don't get that, man. And, and I've been a yeah. fan, pop culture and this geek stuff. And I'm old, where it's been a huge defining thing in my life. And I would submit humbly that I am more vested than most when it comes to how big a role this stuff plays in my life. Mm-hmm. But when it crosses that line, man, like when you're when you're terrorizing people online and like virtual lynch mobs and like pitchforks and torches, it's like, man, what do you well, you're not you doing, doing you create something jesus it's like you do it then or you create your own thing you know it's yeah, like, like there's stuff that i like and there's stuff that i don't like yeah. but i have a profound respect for the amount of because i'll tell you what and this i know unequivocally man no one goes into a movie wanting it to suck no one no <laughs> right, one signs a right. hundred million dollar check assembles 70 people from all over the world who are super excited about making something great and have it suck no one ever wants that yeah um it just you know there's all kinds of stuff that's out of your control there's all kinds of stuff you can't predict or foresee and the thing about social media is it works both ways it's like if you're that savvy a fan where you're that steeped in it, where you're going to have petitions and dox people and terrorize people. And like that poor, that um, Kelly Marie Tran, the girl that got oh, run off yeah, online. Yeah, like yeah. if you're savvy enough to orchestrate terror campaigns like that, then you're too fucking savvy to plead ignorance, to not know that it's, it's not a conspiracy, dude. No one's, no one's organ. There's no shadow government trying to orchestrate a shitty movie. <laughs> to make you personally feel bad. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> the government purposely made the DCEU yeah, dude, like, shitty. Yeah, dude, like what? You're, like, yeah, like Donald, Donald Sutherland and fucking Kevin Costner sitting on a bench in 1963 heralding the, okay, 30 years from now, we're going to make sure there's a Star Wars sequel and everyone's going to hate it. Like, <laughs> fuck out of here, man. Like, I would, might actually want to see that movie. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. A sequel to it JFK. Would, it, would ex- it, would explain, it would explain a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, if you disagree with someone's choices, that's your prerogative. Just like it's their prerogative to do with what they want. But I tell you what, if 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 um, Disney and Lucasfilm trust him with their hundreds of millions of dollars to make their movie, um, I'm going to – that's their prerogative, man. Like if you disagree with it, that's cool, but you don't have the right to – terrorize some girl because she gets the biggest acting career of her life and you're yeah. going to ruin the experience for her because you didn't like the choices that the director made or you don't feel that girls belong in star wars like dude don't 
I've had some experiences with Jen that, that have been really bad with that. Like um, a couple years ago, I don't know if you guys remember Gamergate. Yep. You ever hear of that? Yep. Yep. yep definitely. Um, Jen got embroiled in that on the periphery of that. And a lot of her friends did. And it got so bad where um, she was getting 10, 20, 30 death and rape threats a day. Holy shit. For real. Um, and to the point where I have friends on the LAPD where I would talk to them and I was like going to talk to their forensic tech guys about like if they could reverse engineer some of the information or what we could do or um, and then it got to the point where I was like, well, listen, I want you. We talked about her going back to New York and staying with her family and I was going to stay here and kind of man the fort Fuck, and um man. and over what over what it, yeah. it, you know what it's i'm just, saying like it's just it well i mean and it's just so it's just so insane and so stupid and like um and again i understand being vested in something i understand i mean dude for real like marvel comics when i was a kid that was my world like not just marvel i say marvel but all comics i mean like um I, I learned to read from comic books. I learned about right and wrong. I learned about people of different, all the stuff that couldn't, that I couldn't go to because yeah. I was stuck on a couch with a hole in my head. They brought it to me. But the difference is like, if they made green lantern gay back then, you wouldn't drive to the DC and burn their building. <laughs> well, down. Yeah. Dude, okay. <laughs> Fuck <so> you guys. <laughs> I, okay. I, I have a thing about this. I call it the mayonnaise theory. Okay. And the mayonnaise theory is, I hate mayonnaise more than anybody's ever hated anything in the history of the world. I, oh, wow. <laughs> I can't even – I, I get a gag reflex looking at it like on TV, like on oh, MasterChef wow. if they're like making something with mayonnaise. <laughs> Jen like reaches out and covers my eyes because she can hear me start going uh, – uh. um, I mean I hate it. Having said that, never once ever has it ever entered my thinking – to go firebomb the Hellman's factory <laughs> or to protest um, Miracle Whip or to shame people at restaurants that do like mayonnaise. You know why? Because it's my problem. It's incumbent on me to deal with it because it's not the world's fucking responsibility to cater to my specific displeasure. Yeah, yeah. And, people take, try to take ownership of things. People yeah, try to, not you know. to put you on the spot, but our only sponsor was Hellman's. <laughs> <laughs> so we're a little fucked now. Hey, man. Sorry, baby. <laughs> um, man, I hate that shit. I hate it. I, I just, uh, uh, Heinz won't, Heinz won't uh, return our calls. <laughs> oh, God. I can't. Oh, God. I'm, like shuddering just thinking about it. You're like, so okay. Screwed. Here's how bad it is. I've had this recurring nightmare since I was a little kid that it's like a black and white film noir movie where I'm sitting at a table and it's just me and this little table in this chair and there's a single spotlight over me. Right. And it just highlights the table. And on the periphery is this guy in a suit speaking with a really evil, like Austrian accent, smoking a cigar, but I can't see him. And he's like, yes, we have your family in custody. And there's only one way for you to save them. <laughs> oh, no. And they put a big bowl of mayonnaise in front of me with a wooden spoon in it. He's like, you have to eat the whole thing without throwing up. And I wake up covered in sweat, sobbing to myself, like, I killed my family because I can't eat any. <laughs> That's how much I fucking hate mayonnaise. <laughs> 
but, but, um, where, but where was Miss Tessmacher during that one? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think she was dressed like Elsa the She. Like, oh, you got to eat it off my body. Like, uh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not gonna happen. Then I'd think, be doubly fucked. I think the <laughs> show. I think sh- I think the show should end on the on the mayonnaise. There you go. That's oh, a yeah, high note. Go. That's a high note right there on the mayonnaise. Oh, low me. note. Now I'm picturing the bowl of mayonnaise in front of you with Miss Tessmacher on the side. Oh, God, stop it! Just please, just stop. Oh God, I created a monster. Um, <laughs> But I just, I just don't get it, man. I just, I understand being vested, but I don't, I don't understand feeling so entitled to something because it's yeah. not yours. They don't it's owe nice, you. yeah. It's nice to love it, and it's nice to be vested. It's nice to have a community. Like you had mentioned the Twilight thing earlier. Like, like yeah, I think those movies are terrible. I think most reasonable people do. But if if girls found this thing, or not girls is dismissive. I just mean, but if it people, it developed yeah, its own fandom and they loved it. It doesn't matter if I think it sucks or not. It's not for me. It's for them. And if they if they love it and if they have their own relationship with it, it's not my place. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's plenty of stuff for me to enjoy and bitch and moan about. If that's their thing, it's you know, it's like um, I feel that way about a lot of stuff. Like, it's just I know it's not for me and I, I, I don't want to disparage their experience because <laughs> if someone was doing the same shit with me with some of the stuff that I love. You know, I'd feel encroached on too, man. It's their right if they want to dig it, regardless of what I think about it. It's perfectly within their right. You're like, it's perfectly when you're. It's perfectly fine. You like the ship, but we're not friends anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I can't surround myself by anybody who likes this shit. You are mayonnaise to be down, (laughs) (laughs) man. I love you, but. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I, 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 I'm throwing up in my mouth. I, that's yeah, a, I gotta that's go. a new tagline for the movie Twilight Mayo. <laughs> Mayo. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, so man. yeah. All right, so let's right. let's plug some of your stuff. Uh, let me see if I forget anything, but I'm going to list some of the things. You can be found on PlanetHenderson.com. Uh, yeah, sure. Your band, The Dark Holidays, on YouTube. Is it Vimeo or Vimeo? Yeah. Vimeo, uh, it's YouTube, Vimeo, and all like Spotify and iTunes, and SoundCloud, Bandcamp, yeah. and Facebook. Um, did business. I forget any? Did I forget anything else you want to plug? Um, no, man. I mean, um, I'm, besides I, Mrs. Talks Mike, that's Mike. Oh fuck, I <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> um, I'm I'm got some stuff going on that I can't I can't talk about yet, but I'm hoping that sometime sooner than later, and it could be a really big deal. But I just don't know yet, so I don't want to say Ooh, anything. But then we'll have to we'll talk see. to you about it later on, maybe. In yeah, a man, it's, podcast. It could, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it could be cool. So, um, yeah, and so I'm just plugging away, man. I just you know trying to trying to make something pop. You know? Sounds good. All right. Well, this is so we have a thing we call the big finish that we do with all of our guests. Okay. Um, where we ask three questions. <laughs> Oh, um, and, and there's some follow-up questions as well sometimes. Okay, uh, cool. But, okay, okay. so here's the first question. Um, <clears throat> uh, what's your favorite curse word? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, all-time favorite character could be from any genre. Probably the Joker. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I'd say the Joker. Uh, okay, so uh, if the Joker was your spouse – Oh, what God. would what would what would uh, what would you complain the most about them? Oh, um, wow, wow! Um, give me a second to get my head around that one. Can you repeat the question again? Uh, so, if if the Joker was your spouse, uh, what would you complain the most about them? Um, honey, you got to stop murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, but. 
but the whole body count thing's really getting out of hand. <laughs> and I don't think couples therapy is going to help, hon. I mean, I love you, but... Our laundry <laughs> bill is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, man. you got to meet me halfway. Like, you know. Can you cut it back to five a week? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or at least, you know, can we do something? Do you really have to have the elaborate track with the sharp, the shark and the drop chair and the target thing, like, in the warehouse? Can you just use a bullet? Yeah, it's really difficult for me to put groceries away with all this shit going on. <laughs> honey, I, I need more room for cereal. Get rid of these explosives, please, honey. Come on. And you can stop buying the mayo. Quit putting the mayo in the in the, oh, in the fridge. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what, Absolutely. What? Uh, all right. Next question is: What are you watching on TV right now? What is your one go-to that you have to watch as soon as it comes on, or like DVR'd right away, or you know, online? Two lately. One is the show Dope on Netflix, which is the documentary about um, drug dealers from all over the world. Oh, I think I started right. watching that a little. From the point of view of drug dealers, and I don't know how they do it, but they install um, reporters and camera crews with like drug dealers and cartel dudes and assassins, and it's the craziest shit I've ever Fuck. seen. Um, and the other one is Chernobyl, which absolutely oh, oh, on yeah. HBO, yeah, bl- blown my mind, dude. Just. It, it blows my mind. I just, it's so good. Do you watch Stranger Things? I am kind of saving that. I love the first one, but things have been so crazy that, it's just, dude, I've never seen Breaking Bad. What? And, wait. Oh. That, that, okay. Hold, okay. hold wow. on a moment. Not because I have any aversion to it. Or, it's the opposite. It's I yeah. want to see it so bad, but it's the same reason I don't buy comics monthly that I I have to be able to have enough time to like watch the whole thing. Yeah, because I I can't do it in pieces. It'll make me crazy. Um, Plus, it might have been built up so much in your mind right now. Because I'll tell you you right now, it's top three uh, shows in in my life. Top three shows. Everybody, and I know people that have worked on it, and I know people that you know. I've read the. Have you ever read the letter that Anthony Hopkins wrote to um, Cranston? No. Dude, go online right when we're done. You can just Google um, Hopkins letter to Brian Cranston. Anthony Hopkins was such a huge Breaking Bad fan that he got from his agents or managers, he got Brian Cranston's address and information and wrote him this beautiful handwritten letter that essentially says, your portrayal of Walter White is one of the singular greatest character portrayals in the history of our craft and my hat's off to you. I am humbled by how Holy prof- shit. And that's coming Anthony from Hannibal Hopkins, Lecter. dude. Hannibal fucking Lecter. Oh my god. Yeah. So from Malcolm's yeah. dad. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well played, sir. So yeah. So it's not an aversion to it. I just want to. And so Stranger Things is the the new one's kind of the same way. I want to have a time where I can sit and really indulge and just take the whole thing in. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So the follow up question usually is about a single character, but I'm going to do something different. So one of the shows you mentioned is Dope, right? So mm-hmm. the follow-up question to this one is, if one of those drug dealers from Dope could use any form of transportation to obviously either transport drugs or get away from police, would it be Kit, Airwolf, or Streethawk? Ooh. Huh. Hmm. I would say Kit because I think Kit – of all the qualifiers for being an effective device for a drug dealer to get away with shit, 
I think Kit checks off the most boxes. Yeah. That's a deep dive nerve shit right there. That's how I would yeah. have answered it. Yeah, man. Because Kit, okay, Kit is sentient. So you have a partner, someone you can run ideas by, someone you can get intel from, someone who can act as a scout, a lookout, or an enforcer. He's autonomous. He can drive without you being in the car. He's got weapons. He's got the ability to camouflage himself. He's got booby traps, cameras, radios, and he can run those little weird satellite pre-drone things. And he's got laser too. And the laser. And he can run fake out shit because he's autonomous. So you can act independently if you have to. And if my memory serves, can't he drive underwater as well? Um, I don't remember. I thought. I, don't know I thought there was a thing where he could, but I could be mistaken. But I thought I know could. they reinforced his body after he went after a car. But yeah, but like if you're if you're running from like the Dominican Republic to Puerto Rico to Miami, kid underwater, that's the way to go, man. That's the business. <laughs> Especially if you can combine that with super pursuit mode. Oh, absolutely, dude. And then you you know maybe get Hasselhoff in there to entertain you with some German pop songs while you're cruising along. Can, uh, while he's drinking and eating burgers. Oh yeah, in the backseat, apologizing for drinking and eating burgers. <laughs> That's the business. You money. He's giving I'd you money that. for the stains. I'd watch that show. Uh, okay, last question. Top three movies of all time. Oh, my God. Jesus. I know okay. it probably changes, okay. Right? okay, yeah, yeah. I have like a top 100. Okay, so let me get a qualifier. Is this personal taste or is this it like in matter. terms of objective filmmaking, like standard no, of excellence it's just your, kind of your, shit? No, your person, like – Top three three movies that you love okay. to watch over and over again. Um, <laughs> Almost like Desert Island from The Office. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> Desert and Island three? movies. You yep. said three? Yep. Three. You can only get three. Uh, Gun to the head. Patton, Tombstone, and Aliens. Oh, wow. We get a lot for Aliens. Aliens is in there a lot. Yeah. No. But Al- Patton, that's a new one. Yeah, that was a new one. But and, Aliens, yeah. we get a lot. Yeah, and if I had like a, one or two with an asterisk, I would I'd maybe put in Purple Rain, or oh, nice. That's a first. Um, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. What? Definitely never had that one. No, it's the worst movie ever made, and is so wildly entertaining. I can never get enough of it. And if you guys ever get a chance, I'll I'll. If you can't find it, tell me. I'll I'll let you borrow my DVD of it. It's <laughs> okay at the height of their powers. Kiss had an offer to do a feature film, right? But the production company was Hanna-Barbera, right? (laughs) For real. Oh, my gosh. And the plot was that um, Kiss is doing a concert at Magic Mountain in Anaheim and that the the head of R&D, who's like this secret mad scientist who builds all their animatronic displays, gets pissed off because he's resentful that Kiss is – um, they're diverting money from his R&D budget to support Kiss's concert. Oh, so, no. No, for real. Sounds, and he sounds decided, terrible. <laughs> so that he's going to kidnap Kiss and replace them with evil automatons who change the, change <laughs> oh, the lyrics to their God. songs to brainwash the audience to destroy the park. For real. That's the plot. Oh, my God. And sounds so stupid. So Kiss stars in it. And it's there, and it's 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 so much worse than you think it is. Like it's so much worse. And but so apparently Peter Chris and Paul and Peter Chris and Ace Freely were so fucked up while they were shooting it, and so fucked up and hung over the whole time that they couldn't literally talk. 
<laughs> so they had um, dub, dub famous, really famous cartoon voiceover artists from oh, the day no. to dub their voices in. So it's like, and Paul Stanley sounds like a drunk New Yorker. He's like, hey, what do you think, Starchild? And then oh, my Gene, God. Gene sounds like really overdramatic, like, you know, he's growling and stuff. And then Ace Freely, the entirety of his dialogue is he just goes, ah! And then, and then Peter Chris, I think Casey Kasem did his voice because oh, you're like, no. you're like, holy shit, it's Shaggy. It's and, um, and so then the climactic so battle, wait, so the climactic battle at the end takes place on a roller coaster, right? And so there's analogs of Kiss, so they fight themselves, but the stunt guys who are playing Kiss are so obviously like Asian and like not just like a black dude, but like a black dude with a full beard and goatee with the makeup on. So it's so it's so obvious that it's so not them. Stupid. And um and so it cuts back like in and space forth. Balls? But worse, so much worse. Dude, comparatively space balls is like the English patient next to this shit. And um and then, so at the end, when they're doing their, their evil concert, where the robots are doing the evil concert, they change the lyrics to the song. So it's like, you know, um, it's like Kiss songs, but with all the lyrics are about like, burn, burn, rip and destroy. So then the crowd, <laughs> the crowd starts like pulling up chairs. And then the evil scientist is like, ha ha, I have beat you, Kiss. And he refers to Kiss as like singularly, like the all as four were one thing. Yeah. So he's like, yes, Kiss, I will have my revenge on you, Kiss. Like, <laughs> Volt- <laughs> like Voltron. Absolutely, like I've I've defeated you, Kiss, and it's really punctuated with that hissy S at the end. Like, yes, Kiss, I will defeat you in the end, Kiss. A bad Power Rangers like villain or something, dude. It's it's the fucking greatest movie that's ever been. That sounds like something we would have came up up of if we were smoking too much. It's right. it's it's in the same ballpark as the the Star Wars Holiday Special, but the Star Wars Holiday Special is objectively it's better. Yeah, it's better, but it's they're they're fighting for best worst film ever. But so when it was made, I guess it was so bad that they agreed they couldn't run it in theaters, so they ran it like as like the Sunday night movie of the week on ABC oh or some God. shit. Oh man. But it's 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 just the best ever. You can find clips to, of it on YouTube. Yeah, man, but I'm it's the best ever. That. That's so it's cool. so great. Yep, I'm definitely going to have to see that now. So, oh, and Dirty <laughs> Rotten Scoundrels would be my fifth if I had an asterisk. That would uh, be which, which one, the original or the uh, the Steve Martin one? Oh, no, the Steve Martin, Michael Caine one. And, um, and Fargo is like a tie. Fargo is one of my t- absolute uh, top favorite movies yeah, of all time. I, I love Fargo. Um, but yeah, and I, I, yeah, and Michael Caine, I'm just like I'm a fanatical. I'll watch anything that guy does. I love that man. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, for coming on. You've been more than generous with your time. I can't. Oh, it's please, guys. How thanks. This was uh, so fun. No, 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 no. Yeah, it that's was. like that's like thanking me for giving me a present. I've had a blast. It's been wonderful. <laughs> well, the night's the night's not over yet. We have one last thing. All of our guests get a gift. If you could open your email right now, you'll see the email that says gift. Man, this isn't some weird shit with like me in it's like dressed up like little Bo Peep or something. Is it? <laughs> it's not a close. Sex tape. It's close. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Wait. It's got a flashing alert thing on it. What do you guys? You're killing me. Oh no, that's something else. Hold on. Yeah. Oh no. Wait. That's a. Yes. That's. A... <laughs> that's fantastic, dude. That's great. So, considering it's a podcast, can you tell our audience what you're looking at? I am looking at a pretty damn cool drawing of what looks like Black Sad the Cat. 
from the French comics. If you don't know who that is, it looks or Panthro from the Thundercats, kind of like a cat looking dude with a hairstyle similar to mine, wearing a suit and a trench coat, holding the lightsaber that I recognize from the Sable Corsair. Yes, you, that. Uh, so, like I said, like or BJ said in the beginning, we we stalk everybody online and uh, took a deep dive and found out that um, that uh, uh, Wanjo is that how you say it? Garnido is oh, your favorite artist. He is indeed. So yeah. uh, yes, that is that is Black Sad with that the, is the Sable Corsair lightsaber, dude. That is fantastic. But it's you as that all is, those things. I will, I will treasure. I'm going to post this shit all over social media tomorrow, dude. This is fantastic. <laughs> thank you so uh, much. It's really thoughtful. Um, so uh, I like thank his you little non hands. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because like you're the second artist that I, like actual real artist that I've had to do this shit for. <laughs> And every time I'm doing it, I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous that I'm doing. The first guy that I did it for, uh, Frank uh, or Daz, worked on Star Wars. Right. So I'm like, what the fuck am I going to give an artist, like stick figure-wise, right? So I decided to do a paint-by-number stick figure where, like, you actually had the color shit in. I would, And then I wrote, like, a legend in there where, it, you know, is the, each number is a certain color that you have to color. And, and that's what I gave him. It. And he, he loved and he it. Made us, he made us take it out of the frame and sign it. No, yeah. I, I would, like, oh, shit, I would okay. have you sign it. If you can sign it digitally and send it, this is great, man. I really appreciate it. It's really sweet. Thank you. If, you. if you go on our Facebook page, you'll realize the evolution of these stick figures because it was a joke between me and BJ that neither one of us are artists. And I thought it'd be funny to just have our logo be just us as stick figures. Oh, like no. It's gotten, it's gotten serious, though. Now, now. <laughs> Jen, Jen showed me hers, which was, was it a Leia-themed one? If memory it was serves? Leia. It was yeah. three, actually. Hers yeah. was the most intricate I've ever done. It was Leia, uh, Arya, and then somebody else from, like, the Dragon Riders. Oh, right, right. The Pern, um, Pern. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Yeah. Riders Dragon Riders of Pern is, like, yeah. her favorite thing. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. combined all three of those oh, for that's, her. Oh, that's great, you guys. That's really cool, <laughs> man. Well, I had an absolute blast, and if you ever if you ever hit me up anytime, man, it was a real pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're down in L.A. all the time. We'll just come over and have a, a glass of wine, and, and I'll, I'll bring over the mayonnaise. Oh. <laughs> and, dude. Oh, wait. Shit, you don't like me. No, seriously, <laughs> seriously, I'll kick you in the ball so hard that you will explode into a ring of fire. Um Okay, so I'm going to have to cancel that case of mayonnaise that I sent to right, you. So I'm going to give you guys a gift real quick before you go too, okay? Because okay. I do a lot of voice and stuff. Um, this is this now. I'll preface this: this is really stupid, but it's really funny. All right, there's two of them. I'll do two super quick ones. The first one is if Emperor Palpatine did a Nike ad. Okay. Oh shit. <laughs> okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. Yep. Just do it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hold on. You got a good, that was a good setup because I was waiting <laughs> yeah, for it. Was, <laughs> it's really quick. That's all there's to it. Just do it. Um, and the second one is okay, if Christopher Walken played Richard Dreyfus's part in Jaws. Oh, God. Oh, God. All right, you ready? Yeah. Talk about deep, nerdy dives. Okay. All right, give me a sec. All right. Whoa, come on. We need more chum in the water. And by chum, I don't mean like your pal. Come on, we're going to Oahu. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see that now. Um, I'm literally picturing him, Christopher Walken, now sticking his thumbs and his his in pinkies his, in his mouth and sticking his tongue out. Yeah, there you go. Or um, okay, and wait, could you only? I'll do one more only because I mentioned it. Um, 
Okay, let me. Uh, I do a pretty good Michael Caine. All right. Um, I've always been uncomfortable with nudity. Sometimes I'll get undressed. I wish I could leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing Rodney Dangerfield jokes. Is yeah. Michael Caine? Did you? Did you? Did you keep your eye? Did you not blink during that whole thing? Because no, that. Oh yeah, that whole thing. It, <laughs> well, he's like, you can't blink to be a good actor. Yeah, and then he just keeps it going to the point where you're totally creeped out. He's like, no, it's if I don't blink, it starts getting really uncomfortable. And you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, blink, dude, you're freaking me out. Stop. Every that time shit. I think, every time I think about or watch that tape. I, I, I have to, I'm blinking more than normal where like I look crazy <laughs> yeah. because he just won't fucking blink. So I'm blinking for him. Yeah. And it starts making <laughs> you uncomfortable. So like, please, dude, please. Like, I feel bad I know for your this, eyes. Like this. I know this is a recording, but my eyes are burning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was like, he, it was, um, an instructional thing on acting. He did for like the BBC yep. back in the yep. day. Yep. Yeah. And I remembered yeah. it because Howard Stern was doing research for his role and he saw that video to do some research on it. Yeah, when he was doing private parts. Yeah. Oh God, dude, yeah. I, I gotta I tell you, that. all things being equal, I think he did a pretty damn good job in that movie, considering private parts. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I was yeah, really the surprised. Movie's hilarious. Yeah, the movie's fucking funny. Because that's that is not an easy gig, man. Especially playing yourself. That's that's I. I hats comedy's off to that not, dude, man. Like, yeah, comedy's not easy. No, he at all, he definitely he, did a really good job. I yeah. was I was so shocked when I saw that movie. That movie's pretty underrated. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, and it's, dude, it's okay, real quick before we go, how fucking good is Paul Giamatti in that movie? Oh my god, he's oh, so god. great. Oh god. What he's is so it, good. What is it called Pig Vomit? Yeah. They called him Pig, yeah. Yeah, Pig Vomit. How would start is a motherfucking antichrist. Oh my god, <laughs> like he, That's another one. I could watch him do that just in, I could follow him around just doing that all day. Just that like, I love that performance, and I love Richard Dreyfus in that movie with uh, "Is What About Bob" in, with Bill Murray. Oh they're sitting, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. sitting in the car, and Bill Murray's bugging him so bad. He pulls the car over, and he opens the door, and he yells, "Get out of the car!" Like you get it? Like <laughs> I fucking love that. I say it all the time. I fucking love that. Yeah, that's good <laughs> stuff, man. I love those kind of performance gems that get yes. kind of overlooked by history that are just amazing. <laughs> my Jeffrey, go-to, my go, well, I'm sorry. I know oh, this go is ahead. going long, but go now ahead. I have, I have to mention my go-to movie for you're talking about like acting gems is Rick Moranis and Steve Martin in my blue heaven. Oh, oh my God. God dude. So fucking awesome. One of my favorite scenes is like, you know, he's this like, you know, mobster. Now he's in suburban America and everybody keeps saying hi to him. Have a nice day. And one guy says it too many times in the middle of the frozen food section. He turns around and goes, fuck you. <laughs> That's fair. With the blue shark skin suit on and the hat, dude. Yeah. Oh, not the, oh, hair, the blown back hair thing. Oh, and then my, my other favorite line is Rick, like Rick Moranis is really underrated in that movie. And it's the scene where they're talking, um, you know, at the bar, Steve Martin and, and Rick Moranis. And he's like, and Steve Martin's like, uh, you know, my, le- you know, my wife left, your wife left. What is going on? And the deadpan Rick Moranis goes, I don't know. Maybe the pressure of not knowing what to be for Halloween. <laughs> 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 it's fucking hilarious. The absurdity and the way he delivers that line is ridiculous because he's so serious. I would say Rick Moranis is underrated. Period. Like that yeah, guy. I love, I love him. Everything, yeah, I love him. almost without exception, everything he was in was better because he was in it. Yeah, yeah. And you can't say yeah. that a lot about a, about a lot of people, man. Like that guy. I actually just saw. Um, was it? 
I think just a week or two ago, I saw an article with him where he said that he bailed out for a long time because his was his wife yeah. really sick. Yeah, his, his, his wife, yeah. his wife had cancer, I think, and then eventually died of cancer. Yeah, and he man, just, like, he was just like, nope, I'm not going back. My my kids are more important to and me. And hats off to that guy, man. Like, God, that's uh, yeah. Such a and that makes him man. even like it makes him even like a more awesome guy. And again, like uh, we were talking about earlier, man. Like, you know, that's talk about putting things in perspective, man. That. I just that, that I really was very impressed with that man. I, I mean, sorry, kids, I got to make another. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Yeah, <laughs> like sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Jesus, good shit. Uh, that's amazing. But gentlemen, Jeffrey, Jeff, thank you so much, man. No, no, no. You're very generous of your time. That was awesome. No, man. It's a, I can think of much worse ways to spend a Sunday night. I know because I've done the, a lot of them. And this um, is the <laughs> longest. This is the longest interview we've ever done well, on podcast. It's been uh, wonderful. Is. I've loved Maybe. every I second so. of it, and you guys have been wonderful, <laughs> and I've had a great time. So. Hats off. Thank you. Thank you so much. No. All right, All right guys. Well, that was episode two o. She Jesus. What was it? <laughs> two o. She Jesus. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that was it. <clears throat> I'm gonna send you fucking mayonnaise, man. I, I <laughs> swear to fucking God. I'm gonna send you a drawing of episode two o. She Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was episode two o six of Chew on This Energy Nine podcast. I'm BJ. Back. Till next time, folks, chew on that, meanies, fuckers. <laughs> Later.